Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Cool. Welcome back to episode 20 of the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. This episode, we have Coach Jim DeLuca, BJJ black belt, retired lifeguard, retired chemistry teacher, law enforcement officer, um, legend in New England, um, mentor to me and countless other people. We talk about a ton of different stuff. It's awesome. Um, here's a guy who won't tell you how awesome he is, but we make him we make it come out. Um, first, we talk about what maybe was the first jujitsu tournament in New England that he was a part of, and that Jay actually competed in, and uh, pretty cool tie-in, and how everybody got together under Roberto Maya. And this is my lineage, so I'm super proud of this podcast and grateful and honored to be able to share the mats with this guy. Coach Jim DeLuca, you can always get in touch with us, Great Northeast BJJ Podcast, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can contact us and send us messages, questions, comments, greatnortheastbjj.com. Thank you guys all for listening. I really do love you all. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everybody, to episode 20 of the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. We're back in the barn, Critical Electric Sound, with the man. The legend. The legend. Police officer, um, retired chemistry teacher, retired lifeguard, best-smelling man at Seabrook Beach. Football, football coach as well? Yeah, 30 years. Men want to be him Women want to be with him. <laughs> the man known as Coach, Jim DeLuca. Welcome, Coach. Hey, thanks for having me. This is awesome. It's uh, kind of a cool place to have this, and uh, I'm always interested to talk to you guys about okay, all this stuff. Nice. I'm going to try to drum up some memories. It's been a while. Well, you were telling me yesterday you're going to correct the the, uh, the inaccuracies that we've drummed up on this podcast <laughs> so far. <laughs> well, when I when I say they're inaccuracies, it's I just didn't remember it in that same way. <laughs> you gave a couple examples to Liz yesterday, and I'm like, it did not go down like that. <laughs> I'm not that much of an asshole. There, you know what would be better is if we had a wood-burning stove in here. Yeah. It really would be. <laughs> You're going to try to convince me to do that, right? Or a TV that yeah. looks like that. But just make sure you vent it first before we right. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. We're on top of it. <laughs> right. Sorry, hey. no, no stove today. So you, did you grow up in Lawrence, Mass? I did. I grew up uh, first on Prospect Hill and then on Tower Hill in Lawrence, the mean streets of Lawrence. Uh, uh, pretty, uh, pretty decent city at the time. Okay, it's a little bit rougher now. I just read an article about a decapitated Man. body being found this morning and and hands right head and hand they this the apparently was the it's another 16 year old that did this or at least yeah. he's the suspect at least he was arrested and he took the he took the hands too yeah i i just have my information from the the lawrence eagle tribune online edition that's uh, that's, that's all that's <laughs> no all no I inside know. information no, there's no in, no inside info what was lawrence like back in the day uh it was uh it was multicultural in that you know there was uh, there were sections of the city. There was uh, an Italian section, 
There was a, a section of uh, Lebanese. There was a, a section where there was a large amount of Irish. Uh, there was one small area of French Canadians, and then there was a pretty large Jewish population at the time. And, and just coming in at that time when I was growing up, uh, there were a lot of Dominicans and a lot of Puerto Ricans just moving into the area as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. What were you What were you up to as a kid? What were you, What did you like to do? Oh uh, man, is it is it? I'm I'm just thinking. I I played sports. I I I was a, a baseball player, a little league baseball player, nice. kind of like you over there. And and I was convinced. You know, people would ask me, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "What kind of question is that with my life?" You know, what What do you mean? I'm going to be a pro baseball player, of course. <laughs> uh, what, right. What, why would you even ask that? <laughs> right. Was it Was it weird when your dad said when you got to this planet with your uh, you know, your adopted parents, and they were telling you that you had to conceal your powers <laughs> until until later on in life. You know, was that was that kind of weird, not hitting the ball like, you know, 5,000 feet every single time? And it, You know what, that happened That happened just about every day, but usually I was by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody else got to see it, so that right. was it. If yeah. a tree falls in the woods, though, right? It still makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it was still, you know, I just uh, had... If if I didn't have anyone to play baseball with, I'd go down the park and we'd we'd draw draw a chalk line up on the wall and okay, I'd pitch into the wall, okay, and right. I'd have my own imaginary baseball game. I remember myself and one of my buddies, one on one baseball in the park. <laughs> <laughs> you pitch, you hit it, you go chase it. <laughs> yep. Kind of, I, I think people still like kind of uh, you know the way you play wiffle ball with two people. You know what I mean? It's like you got to chase the ball around a lot, but it's yeah. it's pretty fun. Make all kinds of rules up too. Like here's the home run line and stuff like that. Yeah. That's that's all. I didn't know they had baseball when you were a kid. Like it, right before man had fire, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we use we use sticks mostly. Right, <laughs> sticks and balls. He made it up. Yeah. There was no baseball before Coach. Yeah, that's a, a, a widely misconceived. Coach invented baseball. Invent, that was the word I was looking for. Invented. Right. Did you ever? Were you ever like mischievous? You don't. I mean, you are like I have always always had it together and seem like you know pretty like. You ever get in any trouble? Not a heck of a lot, to yeah. tell you the truth. I. I um and not that I was always perfect. I certainly wasn't always Just perfect. Just got away I, with a lot? No, it wasn't even that. I mean, I did the, the things that, that kids did, you know, normally, you know, go out and okay, have beers and do all that stuff and walk home drunk and and all that stuff. But uh, I never really did too much bad. Uh, so I wasn't real mischievous. Uh, uh, my parents pretty much kept me in line. It was, you know, it was... Uh, uh, not a rigid household, but it was pretty strict. I mean, you, you know, you didn't screw around. Wow. How'd you, did you, how'd you become a teacher? Uh, so my story is that, you know, probably one of the most influential persons in my life, other than my parents and some of my relatives, was my high school football coach. And uh, Gus Giotti, great guy. And, and Gus would give me rides home after practice because I'd be, you know, walking and, and, uh, uh, I just thought he was the greatest guy, and, and I kind of said, all right, this is what I want to do. I want to be a teacher, and I want to be a coach, and uh, I was pretty fortunate to be able to do both. How old were you when, you when when you made the choice to go teach and coach? Well, I knew when I was getting out of high school, I went right into North, I went to, not first, I went to Sterling College first, and then I transferred to Northeastern, but I, I knew I wanted to go into education, and I knew I wanted to coach, so right right out of high school, okay, right out of the gate, that was the goal. 
Wow, so you've never really, other than the stuff that we that we're gonna talk about that we mentioned earlier, there was no previous career before that. It was no, no. I was a kid. Growing, I mean, my jobs in Lawrence. Okay, growing up like a high school kid, I worked at Bishop's Restaurant. It's a dishwasher at Bishop's <laughs> Restaurant. I worked for the sanitation department when we had those big fifty-gallon drums and uh, okay, like the steel pick, drums. Picking up. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't pick up. We'd roll them. I could roll two at a time. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I do that. I did that for the summers and and things like that. Uh, that was before they made people use plastic bags or put their own barrels out. So I'd be fighting off the rats to get the barrels <laughs> half the time. That's true, man. Lawrence rats. That's true. Yeah, big, big yeah, down by the river. The river oh, rats. Yeah, there's big yeah. cats, man. Oh man, they were nasty too. Yeah, just were the were the mills still Lawrence? There was mills, right? There were mills. Actually, one of my jobs in high school too. I worked in one of the mills. It was a textile mill. Okay, that later, okay, you know, uh, got on fire years later and, and burnt down. But uh, uh, the mills were kind of on their way out as as being really, really productive. But it was still going on. So really, like, I don't know why I envisioned the mills downturn in the seventies and eighties. So really, it happened. It happened before that. Uh, probably, probably okay, the highlight was all the way back in the twenties and thirties and forties, and then. By the seventies, yeah, it was it was on the on the way down. So not a lot of jobs in that area, but there still were some, yeah. Right. That part of the history around here is pretty it's pretty crazy in Lowell and Lawrence and you know, all the mill cities that we you know, Portsmouth is no different. Dover, well, New not- Hampshire. Dover, New Hampshire is a big mill yeah. town. First first uh I think it was the first place women ever went on strike. Like all the women worked in the mills and they said Sons of bitches. Done. Shut it down. <laughs> this 25 cents an hour thing for 14 hours a day is not going to happen. Right. <laughs> so it's, 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 there's so much history and you don't hear a lot about some of the stuff that went, went down back then, but you know, all the buildings remain. Yeah. Right? And so yep. much of it is unused. They reclaim a lot of it in Manchester and in Lawrence and Lowell, but. Yeah, you know, Launch has actually done a really good job. Uh, okay. Sal Lapoli has, has been down there, the guy that owns Sal's Pizza. Yep. Uh, he he's bought a good amount of those, okay, and he has a lot of businesses going in right now. And so this, okay, his restaurant is right on the river over there, and okay, you know that was a, probably a a building that could have been okay, raised years ago, but uh, they've saved it. They made it beautiful. Uh, there's there's apartments in there. They they try to uh, okay make condos over there. They wanted to sell condos, but I think there was a problem with the economy okay at the just at the wrong time and. And that, but they have apartments there, and they're beautiful apartments. I actually went in and looked at one, and, and said, "Wow, this is pretty neat." I've been to uh, that. The, he has a function hall too, as part of that. Yep. Ray Ray does weddings and stuff, and yep. I've been there. It's it's beautiful. Yep. Amanda done. and I went whitewater rafting down the uh, Concord River in Lowell once. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you, except I did a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my buddy and I. So I I lived in Lowell. Um, in fact, like uh, just last night or something like that, or the night before, someone got killed at West a place called Westminster. It's an apartment complex, and uh, Liz and I lived right next door to there. Like I lived out my back window right to to Westminster, and so my buddy and I were just you know we're hanging out and having a few beers. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny? Like, you know, wouldn't it be nice to just float down the river? Like, yeah, but we don't have a boat, don't got a canoe, and they're like, dude, let's let's just go get a couple of those like inflatable like kitty boats. You know, with the little paddles that are, like, three feet long. Like, literally, like, <laughs> you know, like, throw a six-pack of beer in each one, and let's let's do it. 
We got out there. We're floating in the middle of the Merrimack. That's the Merrimack, right? The big one. Or is that the... You're uh, on the Merrimack? Oh, doing yeah. That or not the Concord River? The Merrimack? Concord goes right through Lowell, I think, right down What's the one the... that goes... I thought it was the Merrimack. Merrimack is the big river that goes through. Concord it winds around through Lowell, through Bill Ricker. No, this was the big one. Okay. <laughs> this is the big one. The mighty Mississippi? Yeah, it's oh. at least, you know, right where... Uh, like, right, it, it, it parallels the boulevard. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's Merrimack. Yep. And so I float, we're out there in the middle. We started taking on water. <laughs> and uh, The Titanic. <laughs> realized oh, you, we were in some trouble. You best know how to swim. Yep. Had the cell phone on me. Before, <laughs> before it got wet, I called the wife, and I said, we're paddling to the other side, you know, right around the, uh, what is it called, Boom, uh, JJ Boomers? Yep. That bridge right there. I'm like, meet us on the other side. We're... We're cold and we're coming out. This was a couple days ago? No. Oh. Are you serious? I, I'm an adult now. I, <laughs> I thought you I said responsi- a couple days ago. I have responsibilities. I, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough not to endeavor on such things anymore. No, no. It was, oh. like, it was like three weeks ago. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. No, this was probably maybe 06 or 07, something like that. So the big thing like uh, around the academy all the time or whatever is I always call you dad and... Uh, you know, like, I mean, a big part of that is because for whatever reason, well, because I've trained with you a lot, um, my jiu-jitsu game is probably most similar out of anybody to yours. Like, I've, you know, adapted a lot of the stuff you do, I do. Except not as good. Except not as good. No, actually, and not actually, with as much. Actually, just as good, if not better, on a lot of uh, things right now. Yeah, but but also, you've been, a, you know, a big, had a big impact on, you know, my life, I think. And so I'm interested in hearing about the guy that had the impact on your life, your coach. What was his name again? Uh, Gussiotti. And, and I had him for four years in high school. And, and uh, just a good guy. And, and it was at a time in my life where, where my parents were getting divorced, and uh, you know, you know, my father was always good to me, and my mother was always good to me. But when there's that turmoil at home, okay, you you kind of looked at other things, and uh, uh, so I kind of looked to him and you know, looked up to him, and and he was he was he was a good man. He was good to me, good personally, and and good to everyone else there too. So uh, uh, I I was really impressed by him, and and I, I kind of wanted to emulate some of the things that he did. So. Just because, like, how he treated people, or yeah, yeah, and and you know what, I you know was okay, playing football at the time, and you know, not that I had dreams of being a pro football player by then, I kind of figured it out, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but you know, it's 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 an intense sport playing, and and uh, uh, really enjoyed it, uh, had some success as a team, and uh, I think that kind of led me to saying, well, I, you know, I'd like to kind of keep that up and 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 uh, you know, coach some more and stay involved with it. You know, it's 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 interesting that you mentioned that the impact on the on the academy. And, um, we've known each other, man. Must be we're going on twenty years, probably. Pretty close. Um, and you've always yeah, back in Boston. You had that effect at Seacoast. You had a, that effect. Even when we're out socially, you have that effect on people as someone that anybody could turn to for advice on a variety of different topics. And it's. It's always been amazing to me that how, the the impact that you have on people. That's usually because I'm the oldest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the time. Not all the time. <laughs> the uh, well, whenever there's like a question, and and one of us doesn't know the answer, and it's like like a serious thing, I'm like, we should talk to Coach. Right. You know what I mean? Like he's going to give us a, a real answer, not just like something weird we think of. He's the consigliere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, so when did you get into so uh, what you know? You mentioned that he was a lifeguard. Mm. That's a little bit underestimating, I think. He yeah, was the head lifeguard at, at Hampton Beach for close to thirty years, right? Yeah, actually, I did thirty-three years. Wow, I, I, thirty-three, I was, yeah, 30, thirty-three years. years. I, I started in nineteen seventy-nine, <laughs> and uh, I was uh, I was uh, coaching okay, high school football, Whittier Tech. I was a freshman football coach. I was back when I was 19 years old, 19, 20 years old, and and uh, uh, I had met okay, uh, okay, the guy that's the park manager. Okay, was the former head lifeguard, and and he said, "Hey, come on up and test for the job." And and I tested for the job, and it was it was on a okay, horrible day, you know, <laughs> big waves, cold water, and and I just thought I had flunked. I had done terrible in the test, but he, he hired me anyway, and and. Uh, I was uh, that you know that was the beginning of it, right? And that was and so you kept going for thirty three. I mean, that's I a did, lot of yeah. different crews of of kids coming in, and yeah. you got to train them up, and you got to be able to keep up with them too, right? Yeah, you know what? One of the one of the things I did for most of those years is I led the workouts. So it was uh, it was uh, we'd we'd either plan the workouts or I'd come in and just see the conditions that day, and we'd do the workouts. It would always be. Some measure of a, sun, a, a run, some measure of a swim, depending upon the water temp. Of course, you know, with uh, with lifeguards, you want to get them in the water as much as possible. But when the water's, you know, forty five, forty six degrees, you know, you don't you don't want to put them out there too long. I, I eventually came up with a rule, at least when I was there, that uh, we didn't we didn't do anything, okay, half mile or, or longer for a swim, unless the water was fifty eight. And I and I think what happened was one time. We did a half mile swim in forty six, oh. and we had yeah, and we had a few people kind of you know either swim in or or have bad reactions after and sure. and, and uh, uh, looking back on that, that wasn't too bright on my part because I'm responsible for those people, and but you know we you know we had that 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 mental toughness saying that we're going to do it anyway, right? Well, it's also important to find find where the limit is and say and establish that boundary. You know, yeah, and twenty feet of water—that's not a good place to find out. <laughs> <laughs> only, only only Chucky Rosa goes in the water like when it's that cold. <laughs> what's what's like a tip? I mean, do lifeguards? Do you guys? Did you train every day, or was it like? What's a typical lifeguard day like at Hampton Beach? So we we would do training every day, and we you know I mean it was it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't some killer two or three hour workout. It was usually about a forty five to fifty minute workout. Uh, you know, like some days, you know, one of the workouts we did was a five mile run. You know, we do a five mile run, of, okay, and then maybe just jump in the water. Uh, you know, my favorite, my favorite workout was uh, was a biathlon. We would do uh, a two and a half mile soft sand run, and then finish it off with a half mile swim. That was my favorite. We. Uh, yeah, we did another swim where we would uh, okay, we'd have to actually get there early to do this swim. We'd 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 walk out into Boar's Head and swim to the tip of the jetty, and that would be about a mile and a half. And we'd be out about a half mile, quarter mile, half mile out there. That's serious swimming. Yeah, man. yeah. So we, you know, and and then we just do you know some days, some days we just do a swim with Jim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what I would do is is uh, there'd be some waves and 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 I'd I'd say okay. Give me a head start. I'm gonna swim out. I'm gonna wave my hands, okay. And then you're all gonna swim out to me, and and they'd get to me, and then I'd we'd we'd circle up and we'd do some uh, some uh, defensive things, okay, out in the water. If somebody's gonna jump on you and okay, try to bring you down, we'd do some of that just as drills. Then I'd make them go down and dive for sand. They'd have to come up with sand in the hand, 
And uh, then I'd go out again, and I'd go out again, and I'd go out again. And okay, sometimes I'd have, if there was a really fast swimmer in the group, and there usually was, I would say, all right, you got to give me 50 strokes, and I'm not stopping until you catch me. <laughs> wow. And then so I'd get a 50-stroke head start, and you'd get this college swimmer who would come in motor, and, it, and the pressure was on him because if they didn't catch me fast, then everyone had to swim a long way. Right, right there in the water for a long <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. I remember one time we'd, you know, on the on – the, the, it was like the last dive for the dive for sand. And uh, I had everyone, I said, listen, you got to pay the toll. Somebody's got to come up and with a sand dollar or we can't go in. And the kid <laughs> comes up with this huge lobster. He's <laughs> like, all right, good enough. Yep. How, d- how deep is the water there? Uh, probably the deepest I've ever actually gone down was probably like 15 to 20 feet tops. But I know some of the other guys have gone down a little bit further. That's tough on the ears, man. Yeah, you know, I it didn't okay, it didn't bother me at that at that depth. Not not the fifteen to twenty feet. That wasn't that wasn't but I'm sure sure any anyone that, that dives could tell you a little bit more about that. Right? You ever a lot that's a lot of water time. You ever see any big sharks out there on your swims? One, one time, not on the swim either. It was one time it was right after a swim and it was really close to shore and uh I, I watched it. I, I watched it cruise, and, and I, I saw the dorsal fin, and the dorsal fin. I, I really couldn't tell how how tall it was, but I know from the tail fin to the dorsal fin, I estimated that to be about eight feet. So the shark was probably about twelve feet. It's a big shark. Yeah. So it was part. It was pretty good size, but it just cruised the beach and went went back out and didn't stick around. I have seen seals before. You know, you come yeah. up for a breath of air, you look, and there's a seal there, and I'm like. Yikes! Right, I hope right. nothing chased him here. Right. Yeah. I mean, usually where there's seals, there are you know where there's uh, where there's smoke, yeah. there's fire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've we've uh, you know one of the one of the grossest swims we did. The, the, the bluefish had, had uh. caught a bunch of okay, the mackerel in 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 the corner of Boar's Head, the south corner of Boar's Head, and and uh, the next day I made all the gods start there. So we went out. Oh. And we, we also, <laughs> And I went in with them, so you know I'm right there, and you could actually taste the mackerel in the water as you're swimming. Oh, and and I, I remember that day, and I was I was a good swimmer, but not one of the best. And and I can remember one of the college swimmers, uh, who usually was way ahead of me. He was right with me that day. He didn't leave my side. <laughs> right, <laughs> trying to find some area of wake where there wasn't. Yeah, you know, the the uh, amazing part about that, I think, part of the reason, uh, you know. You know, you can easily extract from what we experience in Port City, right? But these people give you a tremendous amount of respect. And I think that's part of the, like, put guys through very tough workouts, but you never tell them what to do and don't do it yourself. No, you man. do it every single time. When you tell someone to do something, like, here's what we're going to do, you're right there with them every well, that's, single that's time. Well, that's the fun part of doing it, you know? I mean, that's that's the goal. Otherwise, I don't think I'd, I'd come anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so Hampton's pretty crazy place. Like, what's the what's the craziest, like, most ridiculous thing you can think of that you've seen you know that you can talk about well this i mean i mean this this is obviously the the big thing at hampton in the summer is there's so many people and and people are drinking and people when they drink obviously they you know they're not behaving as as well as they should uh i've seen uh cars driven up and stood up on a light pole <laughs> okay uh, i've you know we've had uh we've had uh, a couple of people get hurt seriously and and, and, and people die Okay, at Hampton because they were hit by cars and, and oh, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes alcohol is involved and sometimes it's not involved. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's uh, like like any area there's 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 crime, there's drugs. So you know, we see things that that are involved in that. There's a 
uh, a few years ago, I was involved in a case with human trafficking. Wow! Wow! And, and, That's uh, in Hampton. Yeah, and and I was just uh, I was just kind of like a, a guy on the side. You know, I was like the quiet guy on the side, riding along with the detectives at that on that day, and they were doing most of the legwork. But the the guy that was heavily involved with the human traffic, we had separated him from the girls, so I kind of stood with him. And I was talking to him, and he's just looking at me. And I think he took my 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 quiet nature, okay, for being okay, knowing more than I knew, because he's like, "You're not from around here, are you? You're military, aren't you?" <laughs> so, yeah, not, not his. So, for, for those yeah. who are following along, Hampton Beach is this really sort of uh, I don't know. It's like a Atlantic City, might it's be like something New Hampshire's, everybody knows. New Hampshire's Venice Beach. Yeah, right. it's got a real boardwalky kind of feel. I mean, it's a big area, though. I mean, that's just one little part of it. Right, and yep. so you're gonna yep. have, and and then all the all the bands that were once awesome and now aren't end up playing at this great place in the middle of Hampton Beach called the Club Casino. I think they can still call it Club yep. Casino or the Hampton Beach Casino. Hampton yeah. Beach Casino. So you can you used to be able to go to see Steppenwolf and stuff like that. You know where they once were awesome bands, and, and I've seen some great concerts, man, at the casino. I'm just I'm just riffing to keep it. It's funny. it's also a that's a neat place. I mean, it's been there for a long time, but yeah. it's not your your typical auditorium type of of, of venue. It's yeah. you know it's yeah. all it's all wood. You know I saw I Bob Weir at the Hampton Beach Casino the night Jerry Garcia died. Which was crazy. I remember that night. Yeah. People waiting in line. It's crazy. I remember that like, night. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask. Uh, I was going to ask Jim. I mean, do you, you? That place has always been a music hall, right? Yeah. As far as I know, it's. It, yeah. I mean, yeah, since since the seventies, anyway, and I'm sure before that. Yeah. Yep. It's got an interesting setup where there's a bunch of stairs up one side, and there's a bunch of stairs down out the back, and you know you're not you only come in one way, but you could probably does that feel like you could clear that place really fast? I mean, it feels like that to me compared to some of the clubs I've played in where it's like a door, you know. Uh, I think because of the back doors, yeah. you get that feeling. The front door is is a little bit narrow, yeah, uh, but the back doors, yeah, you could get a lot of people out there pretty quick. Yeah. Before so, before they went over to the uh, to the plastic bottles thing, mm. you know, you used to be able to just get out of a show there, and there would just be like an inch of beer on the floor. You oh, know, yeah. the the poor cleanup crew at that place. But I'd imagine that. Did you ever? Were you ever involved? Actually, that that club. I don't know where you. Yeah, I actually worked yet. there a little bit. On yeah, okay, they get me. I dig, they, dug around. I yeah, got you know what? <laughs> yeah, they, you know, a bunch of the lifeguards. We'd go and we, we'd work there at, at times, of and and. And you know it'd be fun. I wouldn't do it for the whole summer, but I, you know I'd you know put on a shirt and a, and a tie, and you'd you know you'd help out not so much as a bouncer, but whatever, just just staff that that's there. Yeah. yeah it, and it's it's never been real rough up there or anything like that. We have hardly any problems. They have their own security force there right now, and there's hardly any problems there at all. When you consider how many people they have there and how many shows, they usually let out pretty early and. Yeah, that's yeah, I mean the reality of of music around here is there's just not that many places to play. There used to be a lot of places to play, but there's a couple of places in Hampton Beach. You know, Wally's is still a cool place to play. And Wally says, yeah, yeah, but you also get like the biker crowd in there too. So that's yeah, not, as, not as much as you used to. It, yeah. I mean, the biker crowd now it used to be actual Hell's Angels, okay, or, or Outlaws and things like that, but not not so much anymore. Uh, I'm sure they can still come in and 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 partake, but it's not it's not known for that. But you still have a lot of people that like to show up on bikes and they have bike parking there but right. but it's turned into something different it's it's 
it's kind of funny. I'll go in there every once in a while, and, and, and I look around, and I'm like, wow, I'm not even the oldest person in here. You know, this is pretty, <laughs> this is pretty neat. You know, this is, it's kind of like my age group. You know, you think it's some wild place, but, you know, half the people in there are 50. Right, right. So Hampton is huge. I mean, that's a big beach. There's a lot of people in the summer. I mean, you were responsible, right, for... Yeah, for summertime, I think I think they estimate about seventy five to one hundred thousand on the beach, okay, at any given yeah. time. Yeah, how so many? A lot. That's a lot. I mean, how many? How many rescues? How many people? You know, would get? Would you guys rescue on a, it, on a busy day? Like, well, you know what? It's it's a funny thing. It's all about water conditions, right? You know, so you know, I had I had a couple of summers where we had zero rescues for the whole year. Zero, huh. zero, zero rescues for the whole year. And then I was involved in one weekend where we had 125. Wow! In one weekend. In one weekend. It's because of the tide, of the of the currents, it's, it's, or it's, it's the currents. When you have, whenever you get big waves, you get water moving, you get rips forming. You know, so it's it's uh, it gets pretty intense like that. It's uh, so yeah. Typically, typically we have spurts of rescues, and we know the areas, so we try to shut that down. Uh, the uh, the last year I worked, I worked part time my last few years, and that's when I started the police force part time. When I was still teaching, uh, I went in three days a week, but I'd go in extra days if it was busy. And I was one of the two guys that was actually certified on the jet ski to make rescues. Nice. Yeah. And, and so I went out okay, and would on big days, I'd, I'd spend six, seven, okay, sometimes up to eight hours on a jet ski out, out in the water. Yeah, but from our, our perspective, I don't know if I talk to you, but from my perspective, that is fucking romantic as hell. Like, you're out uh, there, you're riding the jet ski. It, Mitch, it was, Mary, Mitch Buchanan. Yeah, everybody's got Baywatch on their mind, yeah. right? You know, like, it, was, it was pretty cool. That, that was probably, like, one of, the, one of the coolest things because we could actually make rescues fast. And, and, and what would usually happen, I, I think my last year, or the second to last year, I was involved in about 50 rescues. And it wasn't all me just making the rescue, but what, we would have a signal system where... Okay, the guards on the beach would whistle to me. They'd point in a direction, and I'd head, and I'd see the lifeguard swimming out to a couple people, and then he'd get to them. Okay, okay put them on the put them on his top. I'd get there. Okay, pick them all up and drive them all in, including the lifeguard. So the the hottest part okay, is actually getting him back in. The most dangerous part is you know is getting him getting out there because you might not get out there fast enough. Right, right, right. and do. Did you have a lot of situations where the person was so panicked that they needed to be controlled in the water? Well, for me personally, I can only remember I can only remember a couple, and and you know there was this one instance where it was a rip. I was pulling, I was moving people out of an area. I was whistling all day, and 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 I and I had a uh, a guy, two girls, okay, and a younger boy, and they're all going into the water in that area. And the guy said to me, hey, it's okay. I'm a lifeguard. I said, well, listen, this is real dangerous. If you move down there just 50, 50 to 100 yards, you'll be all set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I walked away. They walked away. All of a sudden, I turned back around, and okay, the two girls and the, okay, the guy and the kid were all in the rip, and they're all panicking. So right. I swim out, and another person swims out. I get to the first person. It's the younger kid. I put him on my top. And then I start going out for the next person. As I'm going out for the next person, the guy that said he was a lifeguard is swimming in past us with, you know, just with himself. <laughs> left, right. his, left his family out yeah, in the water. It, was his, it turned out to be his girlfriend. And, I, and, and the, the poor kid was panicked. He's, he's probably only about eight years old. He's, go, he's going the wrong way. You're going the wrong <laughs> way. I said, we're going to go help them. So we swam out. And, and uh, the, uh, the girl had long, curly hair. 
And, and just as I was arriving out there, probably from me to you, Jay, okay, I just saw her give up. Okay, and she just went down, and her long curly hair just started floating up as she went down, but it stayed oh, on the man. surface. Jesus, unbelievable! So I just grabbed her by the hair, pulled her up, <laughs> okay, put her in the torp, and th- th- she grabbed the torp, and she was fine, but she had given up. Right. Yeah, and then the, the okay, fortunately the other lifeguard girl Sarah that was with me, she she grabbed the other girl, so we swam them in, and and uh, you know never gonna thank you out of that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, the amazing part is wow. you know. All, out of well, all the thank rescues, thank you on behalf. There you go. <laughs> out of all the rescues, there you go. <laughs> out of all the rescues that I've been involved in, and, and there's been some pretty cool ones, and, and I've seen some amazing ones with some of the lifeguards. Uh, you know, that's our job. That's what we're expected to do. That's you know, you, you, you do it. You don't get any accolades. Sometimes you get thanked. Sometimes you don't. You're not getting paid much, right? No, I mean, no, not at all, not at all. But the the uh, the first time I ever got recognized for a rescue was I was a police officer. Wow. Yeah, and oh, I, I think I read about and, it. And I wasn't even the primary guy involved. It was about 8 o'clock at night, and, and I, was, uh, I was working on the beach. I was on patrol, and we get a call. We back up the fire department, and all fire department calls that there's two people caught in a rip, and there was a pretty bad rip on the south side of the main beach. So we get out there. I get out there. The fire department has rescue swimmers, fantastic guys. They do a great job. They have a rescue boat. The boat's going out. These guys are coming in from the shore, uh, and they have fins, and they have a wetsuit, and, and they're going in, and they have a, a lifeline, and they have a, a top, and they're going in, and I just look at my sergeant, and I said, Sarge, do you want me in? Now, it's getting dark right now. He says, yeah. So I stripped down to my skivvies. Good thing I was, good thing I was wearing underwear that day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and swam out. That rip kind of split off in two different directions, so they went in one direction, and I went into the other direction because now it's by now it's dark, so we can't see them, but we can hear some stuff. And uh, it probably ended up being about maybe 250 yards out, and uh, they got to the they got to the the guys first. Uh, then I swam to the boat and and uh, I got in the boat, so I never even had contact with these guys. But because of the effort, I got recognized. I got you know it, I got a nice medal I wear it on my my shirt. And, nice. uh, and, uh, and I, I show it to the other lifeguards that I worked with. There's some of them that are still there. I said, look, look at my medal. <laughs> <laughs> I got their second on a rescue. And so, I got a medal. Right. What, what do you guys got? Yeah, yeah so it's like, uh, so, you, so you, don't have, you don't have one of these? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But once again, the fire department did a great job. They had their boat out there. It was, it was great. And, uh, you, know, I, if, you know, I mean... Even though I wasn't first there, okay, it was the effort that counted, and, and uh, the two departments working together was a, kind of a big thing. So the chiefs of both departments wanted to recognize everyone involved. Oh, that's amazing. And I think about this, and as you're telling the story, I'm thinking over 33 years, how many lives you've probably saved. And you, you're going to say if, so, if you weren't there, so there'd be another lifeguard that may or may not have done it, but you've probably saved, you know, I, I'd... What could be the? I mean, George, what are you thinking? Like thirty-three years of doing this. It's unbelievable, this. man. A whole bunch. The effect you've bunch. had on a, on a, the amount of people—it's unbelievable. Oh, it's, unreal. Yeah, it is. What made you want to become a police officer? Like, you, you know what? It, good question. It's it's. Um, uh, it wasn't something that I wanted to do all my life, but I got a lot of friends that are in law enforcement, and uh, one of my buddies just retired as the colonel of the state police. Now he's a okay assistant director of safety 
uh, Bobby Quinn, and uh, another friend of mine now is the, the chief of police in Hampton, Richie Sawyer. Another one, Tony Palmazano. Yeah. Okay, you guys have met Tony. Tony was a uh, uh, sh- he works for the sheriff's department. He was a part-time officer in, in Hampton, and uh, they liked their jobs, and it was it was uh, it was important, and and they they uh, they had pride in what they did, and. I, it was right around the time where I was turning 50, and I said, all right, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now, or, or it's not going to happen. So I uh, applied to be a part-time officer. At 50. At 50, At yeah. At 50. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, you know, passed all the background checks and did all that, because all, all the bad stuff I did was, was 30 years ago, so that kind of <laughs> was a statute of limitations <laughs> on that, right? <laughs> I actually had to go back and tell them, I, I, I'm one of the lieutenants, you know, okay, have you ever... Ever been arrested? I'm like, no, of course not. Then I remembered, oh shit, yeah. That was in this state. I was like, right. nine, I was like 19. I forgot, and I got off, you know. But yeah, I did. I said, I better go tell him. And he just looked at me, and goes, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> what's the best part? Of, what's your favorite part of be, being a police officer? Well, right now, and you guys know, I'm the school resource officer at one kind of high school, and 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 that's. Uh, that's kind of a, a really good position for me. Uh, one of the things that that I wanted to really become part of is the community in Hampton and Seabrook, and, and knowing a lot of people. Uh, you know, being an officer, you get to know a lot of people. But okay, I, you know, I didn't grow up around here, and I don't have family around here, and I don't have little brothers and sisters around here. Well, I do have my sister, but she didn't grow up around here either. But so I didn't know a whole lot of families. So I, you know, I'd make these car stops and I'd, I'd I'd address these issues with people in town or or meet people, but it'd be one time, and that'd be about it. So now I'm working with a lot of kids. I'm working with the high school age kids, and of course, my job as a school resource officer is to be a nice guy. It really is. It's not to be a hard guy. It's not to uh, go in there and enforce the law. Matter of fact, I get them off a lot of things that you know get. That they do. I mean, and they do community service and things like that. What's the actual responsibility of a school resource officer? Well, you know, primary, if you look at that, the, you know, the number one thing would be safety. So I'm involved in okay, the safety plans for the school. I'm involved. I mean, there's locked doors in schools now. You know, not when, when I went to school and probably when, when you guys went to school, no. you didn't have locked doors. Nope. So, you know, how else was I going to escape? <laughs> well, they don't lock them on the way right. out. <laughs> just, yeah, just just you can't come, I had back, to come in. back in. Yeah. Too, you know? yeah, just to come back in. So that's when they lock it. So you can't get back in. Georgie. So, yeah. So the primary job is to is, is for safety. But I think the, the big thing is to just create a relationship and and that whole concept of community policing to, to get a good relationship between the police and the public. And when we start with kids. That's a good start, you know. When when I can, when I can help a kid out okay, who makes a mistake, okay, bring his family and talk to his family. His family now knows that that you know the police department cares about the kid. The kid knows, and he'll remember. I see kids in the hall that you know wouldn't even look at me two years ago. Now they smile at me. Hey, how you doing? They shake my hand, and uh, it's because I've done some small favor that's not that big a deal, and they're still paying a price. They might have a fine to pay. But then maybe they're not going to lose their license because they were lighting up their tires, or maybe uh, they're not going to have to go to court because okay, they get caught with a with a joint. Uh, yeah, and there, there's some other heavier repercussions too when it comes down to things like college loans and things like that. I mean, you can really stand in and save somebody from getting too deep, which can really change their lives. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. if you get convicted of a crime, you do have to you do have to reveal that in your college applications. 
Yeah, I mean, I have two kids who've been through the college loan process, and neither of them been arrested for anything uh, like that. But it's the the idea, though, is right there. It's like it's not just, yeah, you're getting caught with a joint in your car. I mean, this could quickly snowball without somebody who's you know going to guide them away from this bullshit yeah. in the first place. Yeah. yeah, and just for the listeners, you know, we we don't just say, all right, here you go, you know, you can no, give me course, your joint yeah. and you can go. But we we actually make them do some community service and also there's a there's a program through seco view services that they have to actually go through and they go through and it's a drug awareness program so yeah there's a lot of people who just like to talk out their ass about what this experience is like but it's good to hear it from actually from someone who's there it be people are out there working all the time trying to make this thing right it's not just them and us and all that and i love the idea that you're in the schools talking with the young people they're right there they get to know you i know you I actually saw you do a little trick once i'll keep the story really short but we have somebody at the club. He brought his kid in. It was like a Sunday. We were all having open mat. And he said, yeah, that kid did something. He's lying, right? And you just grabbed the kid and said, you kind of looked at me. We were all talking, right? So you grabbed the kid and just sat him down. He goes, let me ask you a couple of questions. And like four questions later, you're like, kid's not lying. It, kid wasn't lying. It was great. But those questions were like, yeah, this is somebody that I want to run yeah. my kids when I'm not around. <laughs> yeah, right. one, of the, one of the cool things about being an SRO, they put us in the detective division. And uh, uh, you, get, you get training on interview and interrogation. So that was kind of neat training. You know, you, you get yeah. training, you know. It and, was cute because you're yeah. doing it to a, a young person, but you could tell you do this all day, man. You know? <laughs> but his dad was right there, too. Yeah. So he, he, the kid was nervous, even though he's telling the truth. It was great. <laughs> you got to remember that happens. I'm thinking, right. damn, I don't want to get it. I hope I never get in trouble and, and Chip shows up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's I would be totally like. It's interesting. There, we live in a world right now where there's a lot of pressure put on law enforcement to make the right decisions at the right time. And that's a, that's a really difficult responsibility to have. But also, I think that people lose sight of the fact of you're not just there to catch people breaking the law. You, there's, there's preventative measures that you're, you're getting involved with by, you know, touching teenagers' lives early on in the process to, to in, involve yourself and bring the community from that side to your side together to avoid bad things happening in the future. And it's, so it's not just about pulling people over and giving them tickets. And, you know, there's a lot more to it than just catching the bad guys, right? Yeah, yeah we're, we're not out to catch people. Matter of fact, a lot of the times, you know, I'll, we run radar and people say, oh, you're running a speed trap. Well, it's not a speed trap. You run radar and if you're speeding in that area, you, you, you may get caught. Uh, but, but you know, after you're running that radar for a short amount of time, there's other cars going by, and they're giving the headlights and things like that, you know, to, to other people. And uh, I know that, and I'm staying there. <laughs> okay? Because right. what is that doing? Everyone's slowing down, driving the speed limit. Right. That's the goal, you know, right? So you, now all of a sudden, it's a safe environment. So I go to another place in town maybe the next day and do the same thing. And, and if, if people know you're out there, okay, they're going to drive the speed limit. They'll be more aware. They'll be right. more aware and, and drive the speed limit, and and the same things. You know, you you know, you you want to you want to create a good environment for people. We're not most of what we deal with are good people in a bad situation, right. and you got to treat it like that. Sometimes we have bad people, and, and and things happen, and sometimes people have gone down a road where, you know, maybe there's no turning back. But okay, that's that's not the that's not the norm. Well, looking at it from my perspective, I have two kids who who learned how to drive. You know, and they're in the car. So I fucking damn right want you standing there and slowing everybody down. I love when you do that. I'm not going to be all like, ah, oh, fucking guys over there. I'm going to blink my lights, get everybody. No, I mean, it's like 
that's what that's what the good part is. Yeah. You're saving my kids too. You're saving everybody. <laughs> Says the guy thing. who drives around with no headlights and breaking the law all the time. Ron, oh, you talking about me with my yeah, headlight? I'm about you. I fixed my headlight. Ron also drives. That's a, that's a story that from like another podcast. Twenty percent under the speed limit. <laughs> Easily. Easily. I don't really need to rush anywhere. <laughs> hey, so but like you are in a spot, um, student resource officer at a high school. That is, to me, is like, it's not the epicenter, maybe, but it's close to the epicenter of this crazy opiate, you know, problem that's going on, like, in New England. Or yeah. maybe you, across the whole country. Huge problem. Huge problem. I mean, you must see, you know, that with kids. I mean, how do you... It's, it's uh, and, and we spoke last year. Right? Uh, I, was on a, I was on a committee, and uh, we were putting together a... Uh, the governor's summit for opiate abuse last year. So I was on that committee. So I was meeting with with people from human okay, health and resources and and homeland security and other police agencies. And uh, you know, I, I did very little. I, I only got put on there because I knew the colonel of the state police. He he asked my chief if I could get on there, and it, and and uh, they said that they wanted an SRO involved. I said, All right, I'll do it. That was kind of cool. So, but I got to observe, and and uh, there's a lot of lot of effort going into this and, and one of the things that just about everyone has said it's it's going to get worse before it gets better now it's already gotten worse this year you're going to see those numbers go up wow you're going to see those numbers go up this this there's things going on right now that that they may help out you know there's a prescription monitoring program right now that doctors have to get, adhere to and they have to when you know when they prescribe oxycontin now uh, you know they have to report that they're they're doing that to this monitoring program, and and at one point in time, I don't think that that was so. They didn't have to report to anyone. I can remember when I had surgery, and the last time I had surgery was almost nine years ago. I had two surgeries because the first one didn't work, and they had to go back in again on my chest. And each time, I got prescribed sixty oxycontin. Right. Yeah, and and uh, I only used one. I I used one, and it was uh, uh, only because they. They they really urged me to take it before I l- left the center because they said I had to stay away, stay ahead of the pain. But I didn't need another, and but I had 120. And and let me tell you, the one that I t- took was felt really good. Right. It felt really good. It was something that that I realized that yeah I could get addicted to. I ended up uh, getting rid of all those. Okay. And, and I, I think all of us have, have have had this experience. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that uh you know I watched there was a heroin addiction episode on HBO and it was focused down on the Cape because there's also a real big problem on the Cape. Huge. And uh, a lot of it, so many of these people that that eventually got addicted to heroin came from, I was a high school athlete and I got hurt and I got prescribed something or other and then I got hooked on it, I used them too fast and then I got refills and then I complained about pain and then once that was up, I you know, I tried to you know, purchase where I could, and then when I couldn't get any or I didn't have enough money, the the natural, you know, uh, progression. evolution progression is that of that well, is to is to go and you know investigate heroin if you have an addiction. And well, there's there's this thing where it's like I, I used to uh, teach piano to kids all the time, right? And so you get you know you see them from when they're pretty little to like that teenage you know era. And then, then they kind of get to this weird situation where, at least in my time, there were a little more more bands. They start playing with bands, and you can watch the kids get involved with like the wrong kind of people, right? And it's like the logic behind all this stuff, whether it's 
as a result of you know an injury or whatever they're smoking dope or whatever they're going to do everything seems to, obviously kids think they can solve the world it's not going to happen to me right adults do the same thing right adults are like yeah well i'm not going to get addicted to this shit right everything's sort of fine until something really goes wrong in your life and then all of a sudden all those defenses that you have like to i remember i one one of the knees i fixed i had acls replaced that was a breeze i had a I was a Percocet or something for a couple weeks, and it was like, no problem. I just took a couple of them, stayed off them. It was great. Second one was right around the time I got divorced. I mean, (laughs) that was a bitch moving back. I told you the story before. Moving back from Providence, packing everything up. And I had like a, a, like you said, I had a whole vial of like maybe 30 or 40 leftover, uh, what I think were Vicodins or Percocets. I just never took them. But I remember just, I should probably bring these with me, you know? And you're like, Damn, son. No, you fucking put him in the toilet right now. And that's what I did. But you, there was like this little guy in my back of my head going, you should bring him with you. Bring him with you just in case you need him. You don't need him. And, you know, I'd like to believe him. But, you know, I'll tell you, it's just it wasn't good time. And, man, that is small potatoes compared to what people need to deal with in their lives. Your defenses go away when that everybody's going to deal with shit in their lives. And it's like whatever was holding, at least my opinion is, whatever, you, whatever you're holding, whatever keeps you on the straight and narrow, that's going to get challenged, right? And who's going to be there and what's there to support you? And when that shit goes away, all of a sudden that shit just looks really good. You know? What do you think? I mean, am I, am I nuts? Well, no. I, actually, you, you're hitting it right on the head. And, and you know, people, people aren't taking these pills because they make you feel bad. <laughs> right. you know, they, they make right. you feel good. And... and uh, you know, getting back to the prescription monitoring program, once that that started, it it became a lot harder to get the OxyContin, get a lot harder to get the Percocet or any of the opiates. Then all of a sudden, they weren't available in the street, and that's when heroin kind of kicked in. Right. What's well, a replacement? And, yeah. And now there's very little heroin in the street. It's mostly fentanyl. They they right. they, they even cut right. it to make it look brown, hmm. to, so to make like it look heroin. like heroin. Yeah. Right. But I, I talked to a DEA agent last year, and he told me there's very little heroin on the street right now. It's almost all fentanyl. And uh, a lot of it's being made right in New York, and it's being shipped right through Lawrence. Unreal. Are there other solutions? I mean, obviously, we could do the whole, you know, jujitsu saves your lives thing here. But, I mean, for certainly for guys like me, I mean, being involved in a community, being involved in, in, uh, in uh, exercise, whatever it is. And in my case, you know, judo, jujitsu, martial arts, those kind of things really you know, solved any kind of those issues for me at all. I mean, I just feel like there's honor and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to just look at someone and go, yeah. oh, yeah, get off the heroin and start working out. Yeah. You know, that's I, a hard one. I, I don't have a great answer for you on that, to tell you the truth. I really don't. I wish I did. I, I, know, I know in New Hampshire we need more treatment centers. We yeah. need more treatment centers for adults, but we also need more treatment centers for kids. You know, we, we, you know, okay, you know, if we have problems with kids at school, a lot of the times we have to ship them out of state. You know, we've had a person out of state in Minnesota this past year. We had a person who had to go to Maine. So there's not a whole lot of options in, in New Hampshire right now. Uh, but okay, that's improving. Okay, you know, some of the towns, uh, Manchester started, Nashua okay, is, is adopted it. Uh, you, can, uh, you can go get help at fire stations right now. Wow. wow. Say, can you say that again? What does that mean? You, okay, you can go get help. If, you, if you're having a problem with drugs, you can go. Okay, you can turn your drugs in at a fire station or a police station. But at the fire station, they're not, they're not required to, to call the police. And you can, uh, you can get your help. Okay? They'll, they'll try to set you up with, with some, type of, some type of plan, some type of program. 
the uh, the thing about being a kid, right? That's got to be tough because I mean, I kind of know, but um, all your buddies, everybody around you is doing the same thing or whatever, and like, you know, you got to get away for sure. Like, it's tough to be a kid, man, yeah. and have a problem with that and stuff. Have to you cut know? cut ties with those. If yeah, you want, it's if hard, you want to be man. successful, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be in, you're gonna be influenced by the people that you surround yourself with. But I don't think that stops when you're a kid. That's, no, that's but it's tough when thing. you're a kid, man. Like yeah, it's tougher it because you don't know. You know, you don't have any kind of like, gotta uh, surround yourself with people that are that are that are people that you want to be like and that you can model after and you can feel good about being around. Which makes me wonder why Jim's here with us. I know. <laughs> he's slumming. He's slumming. Pass along. He's, he's our SRO for right now. How did... Uh, he's our PRO. So jujitsu is not the first martial art you did. Yeah, How we did just you get into this, martial it, arts? It's going to be hard because I'm sure you have a history as long as... Well... It's but long. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, but the, but can you, so when did you when did this whole thing start? Just let's talk about martial arts for a second. Okay. Did you did you start martial arts in this area? No, well, actually, it's Salem, New Hampshire. Salem, yeah. So we actually everybody here is going to have stories and stuff. But I mean, what did you start out doing? Could you just kind of kind of zoom through it? I, I started out. I started training with Buzz Durk and Weichiro Karate. My really good friend Bob, his dad. I think still does whatever that whatever that what you, what no, you right? So he's still in that that uh, genre, you know, yeah. that, that sort of school. And he may actually is Buzz still around? Oh Buzz? yeah, yeah. yeah so then he a, was telling me that I think he still works out. He has, with a, Buzz great, he has a great time. school. Yeah, it's right Buzz, next to it's in yeah. Atkinson now. Yeah, yep. It's right near. It's about five minutes from my yeah. house. Uh, yeah. Jim yeah. was was teaching a self defense seminar there and invited me to stop by. I was able to meet Buzz. You know, really amazing guy with. A lot of experience and a lot of history in martial well, arts. Well, then, obviously, apologize. Uh, I, I apologize to Buzz. I'm just not familiar with that. I just nope. asked out of the blue. But so, yeah. still active. Is yeah, what you're saying. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I stayed with Buzz for about ten years, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually got I got to the rank of fourth degree black belt. No, but that is that must have been pretty early on, which means you must have actually been just beating the crap out of each other to a certain extent. Well, to it, yeah, and there was a lot of rugged guys there, and, and yeah. yeah, we were. There was, uh, it was. Uh, a style with it at the time they did a lot of body conditioning, and yeah. when I say body conditioning, we punched and kicked each other, and uh, that's did what a I mean. lot of that. Obviously, with with all the respect to the to the style, I don't mean that it's just beating the crap out of each other. I'm saying on top of all that, it probably it might be a little different now, where you know you're going to go in and you're going to fight from time to time, but there's going to be a lot of controlled stuff. I'm just imagining it was probably pretty badass. Well, you know what we did we didn't beat the heck out of each other, although you know, we we did we did leave some scars. Uh, but we didn't beat the heck out of each other and punch each other in the face. Matter of fact, there wasn't a whole lot of open sparring right. at, at the time. And uh, you know, if when we did tournaments, you pretty much that was like you're going in and you're just going for it. Right. So we didn't practice a whole lot of tournament sparring, or or we didn't glove up and, and kickbox and things like oh, that. Okay, gotcha. You know, right, I, yeah. I I actually ventured out and did that afterward. Okay, so you were there for 10 years. Yeah, I, I trained with Buzz for 10 years, and I and, uh, had a great experience. I'm still friends with Buzz, and I get invited back on a yearly basis. Jay, Jay and I went and taught a jiu-jitsu seminar. Hopefully, we get invited back this year, and uh, it's uh, a good experience, and, and I really value all the skills that I, that I, that I learned and, and kept. Yeah. Uh, you know, after that, I, I started doing some kickboxing, and matter of fact, it was while I was doing Weichiru, I doing some kickboxing with a really, really tough guy in the valley, Jerry Rubito. 
Now, I, you guys won't know Jerry Rubito, but if you were a guy about 50 years old growing up in okay, the Merrimack Valley and you thought you were a tough guy, you knew Jerry Rubito because Jerry was, he was a badass back then. He was uh, a kickboxer, a point fighter, and uh, he could do it all. He was a street fighter, and he could do it all. And a uh, really good guy. Uh, I can remember I'd, I went down. Jerry never charged me. Monday nights was his fight night. And uh, I would go down on Monday nights, and the first time I went there, uh, we had the old karate chops, but they weren't even, like, really boxing gloves. Uh, no headgear, and it was full live sparring. You mean, like, shinning into the head? <laughs> yeah, full live sparring. And, and wow. we just, yeah, I can remember, you know, and, and I can remember after, after a couple of weeks of doing that, I, 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 had my, I had my bag with my boxing gear and yeah, ready to go, and I'm... I'm, I'm I go to the door to get to my car, and I look in the mirror, and I don't want to go. It's like, I, I don't want to go. You know, I'm, I'm looking at my nose. It's sideways. And huh. I, I said, I don't want to go. And, and then I just looked at myself and said, I have to go. And I went, and he straightened my nose that night. He punched it the other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly not on that level. I mean, that's a, that's a really heavy level. I won't speak for these guys, but I'd imagine most people who are involved in martial arts at some point have that that look in the mirror, you know, regardless of however it is. Of course, in your your situation, you're literally going in and having an MMA, MMA <laughs> fight every Monday night or whatever. But yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's yeah, but Jerry, Jerry was great. Jerry, I, you know, I said, hey, Jerry, what do I owe you? Not, nothing, 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 you know. Yeah, every once in a while, my father, who was a plasterer, would go in and fix the drywall because we'd be banging into the walls. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned that that experience. I mean, that's on a, on a pretty severe level. You know what I mean? You look in the mirror and you see the damage you've taken, and be like, I, re- I really would like to take a, a night off, but. No, I, I wanted to take the okay, the rest of my life off. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, I, I'm done with this. But I I think that you know sometimes. It's it's interesting your reaction to that. It's like when when somewhere back in your mind or in your heart is saying, ah, I, I don't feel like doing this today. And that's the signal to you like, that, well, that you have to do it. I now I got to go cuz this crept into my mind and yeah. I can't have that. I got I got to go. Do you want to go on that for a sec? What, what so why did you go? Why didn't you just say screw it? I'm going on. You know what? There was a little inner voice in me that, okay, I I, I don't I don't want to I don't think I'm a coward, okay? And if I didn't go at that point in time for that particular reason, okay, it would have been because of a, I, was, I was afraid. And Well, you were afraid. Yeah, but, but if you face your fears, then you're not a coward. Gotcha. Right. So it's you like know, a personal And I still honor. got beat up that night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, there's someone else who's going, oh, shit, yeah. Jim's here too, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, we, you know, we, we had, it was, it was uh, you know, it was a rough crew. There was, uh, there was a, a few guys uh, that were professional level fighters and fought professionally, and it was a rough crew. And every once in a while, we'd have other people come in. And Jerry actually, Jerry was a guy that worked at, in the prison system, and guys would come out after uh, and uh, because Jerry had a reputation, they'd, they'd show up. For the test. And, they want to and, test and, them, right? Okay, yeah, they're looking to fight with Jerry, and Jerry said, okay, this is what we're going to do. He says, uh, okay, you're going to fight with Jim a little bit. Okay, okay. I'm going to watch you. Then I'm going to fight with okay, whoever else was there, Jason or Bobby. Okay, they're going to fight, and then we'll fight. And usually, okay, after they fought, okay, after they fought me, they watched Jerry... Okay, and they would leave before they fought Jerry. <laughs> they would. Ah, uh, yeah. They would. Yeah, because because I okay. He he was a guy. He's a little bit older than me. 
Uh, but he would have been a, a UFC fighter, no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. He's you know really, really a okay, excellent martial artist. What so, year? What year was that around? This was back. Uh, let me see. I was probably my early. Th- it was probably uh, early nineties. So what happened after this? So you were there for a while. You can't do this forever. No, no. So I, I, um, uh, I, I left Buzz's place, and it wasn't because of of Buzz or any of the training. Okay, but of course not. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I was just looking for other things, and and this was right around the time that okay, jujitsu was coming around. But there was no Brazilian jujitsu around. But there was a guy in in um, in Wuben, Mass, Ed Mala, that did small circle jujitsu, which yeah. is Wally J. Wally J's, yeah. So uh, I went up there, and, and, and uh, I said, I'm going to give this a try. And I ended up staying six years, and I actually got a black belt from Ed Millar under Wally J. So that was pretty cool. That's amazing. What was, yep. that, what was that class like, uh, like a typical class? There was, it was a lot of different things. It was, uh, you know, you, you know the, the basis was, was locks and okay, standing up, wrist locks, arm bars. You learn chokes, you know, things like that. It wasn't grappling on the ground until a little bit later. And uh, and then Ed had an influence with some Filipino arts, and not that we yeah. did knives or sticks or anything like that. We didn't. But as far as the movements and getting into those locks, yeah, circling and yeah. the collie thing where you're yep. blocking one thing, yeah, yep. amazing, I- exactly. And and uh, so I stayed with him for about about six years, and 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 then okay, right around that time, that's when I I ended up meeting Roberto and Pat for the first time. How'd you end up at uh, Jimmy Pedro's? Oh, okay. Once again, okay, I, I just wanted to try new stuff, and all of a sudden, I hear Jimmy Pedro. Okay, if 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 anyone on the podcast doesn't know him, you should you should look him up. Uh, he Olympian, was a, a world yeah, champ right. judo player. Okay, two times bronze medalist, and he's the Olympic coach right now, and has been for the last couple of Olympics. And uh, Jimmy actually moved okay uh, uh, to a school in Lawrence, and I was living right in the area at the time. So I said, oh, I got to go this, give this a try. And I had done a little bit of wrestling at the time because at Small Circle, we started doing some jujitsu. It wasn't Brazilian jujitsu, but we were learning from the tapes and we were learning because we watched things on UFC. And without the VHS, yeah, everything would be different, and right? So, and, and, uh, and once again, you know, you know, Roberto was around, but not a whole lot of people really knew about Roberto. And then, so I said, all right, let's do judo. And myself and a couple other people from Ed Malaz, we went down there and we started training some judo with Jimmy. And of course, that was a pretty enlightening experience, you know, because you're going to get, you know, tossed around by, by a Olympic level guy. Yeah. And, and he, high level yeah, he did it pretty easily, but he didn't even toss you around that much, but, you know, other people would. Yeah. Uh, I had done a little bit of high school wrestling with, uh, with, the, with the team. Not that I was a high school wrestler myself, but uh, Shashin Tech, where I taught. For all those years, has a fantastic program under Coach Mark Donovan, and I'd go down and train with those kids a couple times a week and get a little wrestling. So I was actually able to do pretty well over with uh, the guys at the judo school when it came down to the nawaza, the groundwork. Yeah, and Jimmy, right. Jimmy's whole approach towards judo is it has that as a major part of it, playing nawaza, and, and that would obviously he won a ton of stuff on the ground. He wasn't winning yep. everything by Yapon, and he'd go in with some of these, you know, the Japanese players or whatever, and those guys would be, you know, 90% stand-up, and he'd be like, they'd be afraid <laughs> to throw him because they knew that if they didn't put him away, he was going to kill him on the ground, right? Yep. So that's really cool. Yeah, what a connection. So, 
So, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't with Jimmy for very long because I, I actually got a couple of knee injuries. I wish I could have trained longer with Jimmy. I was probably about two years with some sporadic in and out. I've com- I competed in one tournament. I got to the level of a green belt, and I wasn't even a very good green belt, but, but I got to that level. Uh, the one tournament I went in, I won. Uh, yeah, which was nice. yeah, but it's really cool. But but the, the the great part about the story is that I really wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing as a judo player and wrestling. And, and, well, <laughs> and Jimmy Senior was coaching me at the time, and he got so pissed off that he goes, "I'm not coaching anymore," and he <laughs> and he walked off. And it was and then, the guy. <laughs> and then and then Jimmy came over and and coached me, and I ended up winning. And it certainly was. I think I just pinned the guy. Whoever I. I pinned my way through. I didn't do anything spectacular. Right. You can win in judo with 25, well, it used to be 30, but 25 seconds on yep. the ground. Just keep the guy yeah. there. Don't let him yep. stand up. Don't I, let him roll over. You and I win. can remember, yeah. yeah, I can remember when I showed up. Which to, is awesome, by the way, when, when I, I went that way. When I showed up to class that, that next week, uh, you know, Jimmy started teasing his father. Hey, Duke is going to have me coach all the time because, you know, he, he won after you left. He goes, the father goes, well, you can keep him. <laughs> it was one of those and and I understand exactly what he was saying because looking back you know it's it's one of those things you just got to go for it and do it and turn your back in judo and 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 take take the throw and, and play play that game I yeah. I think I had more like self-defense in mind and 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 I was a little well, static the two Pedros senior and junior have had fantastic success after that with Ronda Rousey and now Kayla Harrison and so it's a it's an amazing program Travis, Travis what's Stevens. Name, too. Oh, sorry, of course, Travis Stevens. Yeah, who's moving? So, how'd you meet Roberto? Uh, so the uh, the first time I met Roberto, I met Roberto and Pat on the same night. Ed Millar actually put on the first jujitsu tournament in New England. That was my first competition ever. Was it really? really? I was there. Wow. That was at Shawshine Tech. That was the school that I taught at. You're kidding. And I'm not kidding. And I got the gym. I got the gym for okay for the for the tournament. And we, it was a huge showing. I think there were 250 competitors and about 500 to 600 people that showed up. It was incredible. And, and uh, uh, Roberto was really the only guy that knew about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, him and Pat, at the time. So we went over some rules. And they discussed the rules. And I was in on the rules committee. And it wasn't, it wasn't like we were going back and forth, we'll have this rule. Have this. Basically, Roberto said, well, this is what we should do. And this is how they run these tournaments. So, oh, okay, thanks. Thanks for letting us know, and this is what we'll do. And, and then, of course, the people refereeing, they had very little experience. I mean, if anyone, I don't know, Pat was probably a blue belt back then, and okay, he was the highest-ranking guy around besides right. Roberto. What so we had no experience. That was? What year do you think? Oh, boy. Jay, you'd probably know. I don't know, 99, 98? 98, 99. Probably, probably 98, yep. I'm, I'm thinking, right around that time. And... Uh, so, you know, we ran this tournament. It was a great success because a lot of people competed. There were, you know, there was, there was uh, really no belt classes. Everyone was a white belt. There was, you know, everyone was the same level, so we just had weight classes. I remember there was a really talented guy from Boston, Brazilian, uh, the tall, long guy, uh, okay, uh, a big man, okay, that did real well. And then I, I actually had a kid that was training with me, uh, Actually, he didn't even train with me. He was a U Lowell wrestler, Sean. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to remember his last name, but he was an All American wrestler, and, and he and he, he he found out that because we were training at U Lowell a little bit, rolling around in the wrestling room, he said, "I want to do that tournament too," 
and he came in and he did real, real well. Oh, sure he did. Yeah, no, yeah. He had the defense. He yeah. did real, yeah. real well. I remember he got caught in an armbar, then he, he jumped up in the air and dove on the water table just to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's good defense. Yeah. Jo- Sean Harrington, he was a okay, multiple time All American. He was Olympic alternate. Wow. It, yeah, he was he was a tremendous guy, and, and uh, uh, I remember he was using karate gis because I had one jujitsu gi and I had karate gis that I could lend him. Right, <laughs> Jay. What do you remember from this tournament? Uh, it's funny. I I I won that tournament, um, and I had four fights, and the first two were 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 totally legit. Um, I remember. Well, actually, let me step back a second. I remember what, what, Ed what Millar. Belt, what belt were you? Are? What, I was a white belt. White belt. Okay. I met. Ed Millar, and because uh, he had these DVDs for sale. No, they weren't DVDs, I guess. I guess they were no, CD they were, ROM or VCR no, tapes. They were, or, D- were they DVDs? I think they were, wait a minute. They might have been CD ROMs. Yeah. VCR. Yeah. And, and it basically, it was, you know, how to fight in the street. And like, there's a big picture on the cover. I'll never forget the picture on the cover is Ed smashing someone's face off a bar. I have, those, <laughs> I still have those tapes. I do. I bought those. We gotta watch. We should those totally. You know what? As a side thing to our podcast, maybe you know how like Rogan has like fight companion and stuff. Watch. We should. We should get like a bunch of people who want and just watch yeah. one of these old things yeah. together and just comment. And, on and it. by the way, about Ed, what he does with the wrist locks and and that he's he's one of the best ever. Can you imagine? I mean, he's got he's, these people have to be unbelievable because they're constantly testing. Right, and you don't have the internet to try to you know. Okay, next week we'll do this. It's they must be unbelievable. They must so be we got to so go dedicated. back here because Jay has told me that the first two wins were legit, which indicates right, to me the second two. So the we second, need to hear about. In the, in the third one, um, the kid threw up on the mat, <laughs> and so they like right off the bat he was done. Like it was like thirty seconds in the fight, he threw up on the mat and he was you done. Made him and, puke, dude. Yeah, and I'm sympathetic puker, man. I don't like the smell of vomit. <laughs> I don't like you it. Also puke. No, but I was close. It was bad. double DQ. <laughs> it was bad. And then uh, the third guy was that had, in the rules at the beginning. Did did Roberto talk about what happens if someone pukes on the mat? I don't know. I was totally disgusted, though. <laughs> Absolutely disgusted. And then in the final, the guy had the the guy that um, you know his fight before he had gone the entire duration. He was completely exhausted, and they gave him two minutes. <laughs> and so when we got on the mat, he was like, "I'm going to give you everything I have, but I'm done." And uh, he that's, pulled that's guard. That's usually and, like when I train. He <laughs> pulled guard, and uh, I remember being so excited because he pulled guard, and I passed, and I was and I was cross-eyed, and there was just a few minutes left, and I was like so excited that all I was really doing is squeezing the hell out of him, <laughs> and uh, you know, with like I got control of myself for the minute, like kind of a minute left, and I'm like, oh, I'll just you know, I'm gonna go for a submission. I ended up catching him in an armbar, but um, you know, kind of, I was fresh. Um, right off the, the puke victory, off the, the puke victory. Like I literally, like maybe a grand total of you know two and a half or three minutes on the mat, yeah. and this guy had just been through a war. They yeah. gave him like no time. Now, I think Kenny and Keith both, Florian, they they both competed in that tournament too, didn't they? Uh yeah, that was the first. I I had no idea who they were, and you know, com- in comparison to so that was before I met Roberto, believe it or not, and uh, I was I was kind of. Um, I had trained a little bit when I was when I was younger with Greg Dikoff when I was in in junior high school and high school, and then so I was really looking for jujitsu. And at the time, I was you know as a freshman at at, uh, at St. A's, and um, there was a lo- there was a small local school that's not there anymore. And it was, um, 
you must have just walked into fucking Disneyland. You must have gone in. There's like 200 some people there, and you must have gone like, look at all these people, right? I mean, did, right. Is that, was that the connection? Did you make connections out of that tournament? That's how I found out who Roberto was. Damn. And wow. Talk about affecting people's lives in a positive way. Yeah, so I went back, and uh, do you remember Dan Coyle? Dan Coyle was also from San A's, and he yep. trained with us a little yeah. bit. He had, I don't know if, I think he eventually got his purple belt, but he lives down in Miami. I keep in touch with him. Um, and uh, he, before, I, I came, came back to school after that tournament, and I was like, you, like, I heard about this guy, and he had a couple guys, Kenny and Keith destroyed everybody. And, you know, I had heard about this guy, and he actually made it down before I did. He went down to see Roberto before I did. I said, I'm going to go train with this guy. He went down there, and he was like, this is awesome. And so uh, we went down together a bunch of times in the beginning, and then, you know, as as they say, the rest is history, really. How about you? Like, what, you know, so that was that was your also your first meeting with Roberto? That was the first time I met Roberto. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. That that's the way. It but, uh, but uh, like, like I was with Ed at the time and doing judo at the time and things like that and wrestling with the kids at the high school. So I, I wasn't even really looking to, to get into anything. And uh, it wasn't until after I hurt my knee in judo, and then it still, it still hurts. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with that sport, with, with that in, you know, on any level. I was already a man in like my early, right around 40 at the time, 39, 40, and 41, I think, when I started with Roberto. And so, you know, it, it wasn't going to happen. And then uh, I finally found, okay, something online. I went on, it probably wasn't even online, probably just advertised. Uh, Roberto opened a satellite school up in Manchester. Yep. And uh, hooks it, actually. And uh, it was a small little school. And uh, uh, I went up there, and he'd have guys okay, at the time that were blue belts, like Nate, Doug Kalender, and Pat was a purple belt at the time. And they'd alternate. They'd come up and teach. And I, the first time I remember going up there, and I'm saying, "All right, I'll drive up here. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll come up here. Maybe I'll come up like once a week. And you know, because because I'm going to be able to handle everyone. I'd been on the mat with judo players and right. been able to do noaza with a lot Said of black every belts. judo player who ever walked into a <laughs> jujitsu club. Yeah. And 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 all of a sudden, all of a sudden, okay, I get not beat up that night, but pretty much handled. And I realize. Once again, the one of those moments you look in the mirror. I got to go every night now. I got to. I got to go all the time, right. and so I signed up full time. And okay, that school didn't last very long up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever happened, and I, Roberto okay, just said, "Well, you come down to okay to Watertown, and and train in Watertown if you want, and give, I'll give you the same tuition that you have up over here." And that was pretty much a deal, right. and. Uh, it was uh, it was a good deal, so I started doing that. So I started doing the commute to, to Watertown, and that's you know that was uh, uh, my first training with Roberto on a regular basis. How many times a week were you going? Uh, I was trying to get there three times a week. It, you know, I remember the commute? I was living in Lawrence at the time yeah. to get to Watertown with the traffic. I was working Bill Ricker. I was coaching, but pretty much I was getting there like three times a week. Sometimes I would go there four times a week. I I used to try to get there on Fridays. Uh, now a lot of times I'd be out of out of work after school at three o'clock and classes weren't until six o'clock at night. Right. Uh, but I, I knew that, that Pat was, was doing some, uh, some special training with Keith Raquel and some of the other animals down there. Right. And so I, I'd, I'd go early and just watch and, you know, every once in a while they'd invite me on the matter. Hey, you want to come in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right. and, uh, 
So you, you get in a little extra training with them. But there was a lot of times where I just sat in Starbucks just waiting for classes. And I'm glad I did it. Okay, but it was it was uh, it was something that uh, it's it's we we take for granted how convenient it is now, how close it is for a lot of people, and how many different options you have to go to somebody that actually knows jujitsu uh, now. Where back then, if you wanted to learn jujitsu, you better get to one or two places in in New England. That was about it. Right, and that it's it's so interesting. I my, my experience was very similar in that. Jiu-Jitsu was so far away. Roberto was so far away from me, but I, I did the same thing. I'm like, I love this. I got to go all the time. And, you know, you made, I remember the, just amazing stories hearing you talk about like, oh, I've got, I got about, you know, an hour and a half on the way, you know, to get back home. And But the sacrifice to get that, to get that fix and to be on the mat knowing, you know, you're learning something valuable. I have, I have such amazing memories of, of, because like you've always said, you know, um, that you, if you value the training, you'll you'll do what's necessary. Whether it's paying the money because jujitsu is not cheap, or traveling to get it, um, you value it, and you'll you'll no matter what it is, you'll go for it. And that downstairs academy is is kind of where the inception of the, all that occurred for me because I never, I was interested in other stuff. I had hobbies, you know what I mean. There's stuff that I like to do, but not that I was willing to sacrifice so much for to get. And it and whenever I think about that, I think about that downstairs academy and walking through the front doors there yeah. every night in the back room in the back of the red room the red room yeah that's that's where you got your ass kicked when they didn't want anybody else to see what was going on that, that was that was uh, that was like the you know you'd you'd be out in the big room and there'd be all the, the the top guys in the back room and they'd be before class okay back there and and, and you'd kind of look in and then all of a sudden one day they look at you come on in. All right, get back there, and you get beat up back there too. Okay. <laughs> right, and then you belong. <laughs> yep, and it was like, yes, I'm being invited to the red room, and yes. then you found out what it was all about, and be like, yeah. can I go back to the blue mat, please? <laughs> <laughs> I but, mean, at that time, there were, there was really no brown belts, right? Everybody was pr- pretty much blue belts, purple belts. Yeah, I like, think Pat uh, Pat uh, Pat was the guy that was way ahead of everyone as far as the technique and belt, right? And uh, so he okay. Might have been a brown belt by the time I, I started down with Roberto. I know he was a purple belt when I started uh, in in Manchester with Roberto's school. Uh, right. So that was the high rank, other than Roberto and maybe somebody else around I, that I don't even know. You got any good Pat stories? We're gonna be we're gonna be uh, <laughs> we're gonna be doing a podcast next with Pat. I, 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 you know what, Pat's he's he's a reserved guy. He's a very professional guy. There's there's no like craziness to the you know that that I could tell you on on Pat. All I know is that, you know, I, I used to watch, and Keith Raquel, if you guys don't know Keith, he was an early UFC fighter, really tough guy, fought, uh, uh, had g- good stand-up, but he was also on the, you know, the, the, the national circuit for no-gi wrestling and, and doing real well in that no-gi wrestling and submission wrestling. And Pat would just, and this guy was jacked, Pat would just handle him. And, and I was like, wow. And, and Pat's... A guy a little bit bigger than me. Uh, he's uh, a professional. He's uh, an administrator in the Lexington school system. I think he's in charge of all the special ed kids in, in, in town. He doesn't look like a like, you know. If you saw him on the street, you wouldn't think, boy, that's a guy that's a killer. Well, you know, I, he, you know he's whatever. probably not a guy that you'd want to go okay mess with. But, well, definitely okay, not. Yeah. I can but, tell you that. Yeah, but right. but uh, but he, you know, he, he's definitely professional. So I don't right. have any I don't have any crazy things about him. He was always. 
you know, when he rolled, he always rolled real control with everyone. And whenever I roll with them, okay, and even okay, the last time I think was up in up in Acton, uh, very controlled, and it wasn't anything astonishing other than the fact that the guy's about 180 pounds, but when he's on top of you. It's more like a 300-pound man. And you couldn't move? No, I couldn't move at all. Uh, no. Okay, but but uh, he was always he was always kind of like the, the leader in that crew and okay, the okay, the person that was uh, that was uh, leading the way. What about with, Jay? Along with Jay was the guy you wanted to stay away from, right? I mean, well, I I used to actually when I when I when we first started, you know, and we would we wouldn't always be in there the same nights. Like I said, I was going okay, a couple nights during the week, and then okay, on Saturdays I try to get there every Saturday because I was. A, but I used to like going with Jay because I could get to his side and hold him down for a long time. <laughs> right, it was awesome. Was well, not okay. awesome. Yeah, it was not yeah, awesome yeah, at all. And and, and that's uh, a quality you've retained, Coach. You know that, right? Well, okay, yeah, but not with Jay. <laughs> <laughs> so so I used to like it, and, 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 and so I get this this long skinny guy to get to the side, be able to pin him and such. <laughs> Okay, and, uh, and and it was actually, you know, it's funny. We we look at how talented some of the guys are now with Jay and Pags and 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 a lot of these guys, Chris Owens and stuff like that. But you got to remember, everyone was a white or a blue belt back then. Right. And and I, you know, and I can remember okay, going with these guys and okay, like, all right, I can get to Pags' side or over here right now. I can I can hold them down for a while. This is pretty cool. And you know, several short years later, that's not okay a reality anymore. And you know, and and. Uh, uh, it just goes to show you how good people have gotten around the area, you know, really technical. And now all of a sudden, it used to be un- unusual to see more than one black belt in the room. And now we have three in the room at, okay, just at Port City. I got a, a million questions. I mean, I, we have an opportunity here. I mean, I'm talking with someone from my perspective who's been doing this for your whole life, right? And. You know, you, you, I, I was involved in judo. You've been involved in judo. Judo goes back, you know, whatever is like 170 years now, right? So there's like a, a maturity, and I apologize to people who listen to the podcast. I probably asked this question like five times, but there's like a maturity to some of the martial arts where there's a place for people who get older. So if you look at judo, you're going to see someone who's, you know, maybe this, this you know, 75-year-old guy, and he's going to come in, and he still has all the skills that he had and all, but it's going to move a little slower, there's a respect in that situation where you're going to see some 25-year-old kid who's not going to double him into the wall, right? The role at that point isn't necessarily just instructor, but there's like a spot there. And I think we're in this weird, from my perspective, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is just about now, in Brazil, I'm sure it's a little different, but in America, just about now beginning to deal with the idea that you have a number of really smart, really great, older guys who have tremendous technique, they have a tremendous background, but they're going to start losing some of those big facilities, you know, the, the just the faculties. They're going to lose some of that physical prowess. You mean like shit yourself? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean like they're going to come not in. all the time. And they're not. Hey, you know, I'm he, not wiping I'd like your to point ass. Out, I'd like to point out Jay said that, not me. Uh, but no, code, you know what I'm saying. You, you're going to look at these guys and they're not, you can't expect that guy to walk into his academy and just beat the fuck out of every single person, including the guy who's going to the world championships tomorrow, right? How do you feel like Brazilian jiu-jitsu will be able to handle that? Do you see something there? Yeah, actually, I, I do. A matter of fact, and, and, and uh, you know, what you're bringing up is, is, is something that probably a lot of schools are going through and, and, and our school is going through. You know, and I'm... I'm going to be 59 years old soon. And, and I, I'm 100% not calling you out right now. No, I'm looking no, for no. your opinion, okay, though. But, yeah. No, but, but understand this, that there's, uh, 
whenever I go with like some of the okay, some of the really talented people at our school, okay, there's an understanding that we're not competing. Now, okay, they want to sweep me, they want to tap me and stuff, but they're not going to do it, okay, at all costs. Perfect. How did that come about? Is that because they have respect for you? Is that because of the way the school works? That's what I'm interested. I, in. I think it's I think it's it's a combination of both. I think hopefully that that I've built enough of a relationship with some of these people that. Like a guy like Tyler that, you know, maybe two years ago I used to be able to get a sweep on once in a while. And now, okay, there's not much I can do with him. And I know that when Tyler is going with me, and this is a guy that's training a couple times a day and has sick technique, better as a purple belt, better than I've ever been and ever will be. And I know that he slows down a little bit. And he, he'll give pause from time to time. And he doesn't get as heavy as he could be. And he doesn't move as fast as he could be. Because he's rolling with me. And he's not trying to beat me. He's trying to get him better. And he's using his technique. And he's going to do things. And I want him to do that. But he's not going to do it at the point where, okay, he's going to just smash me into the ground. Uh, we got other guys going with like a Jeffrey. And as good as Jeffrey is right now, the same type of thing. You know, Jeffrey's getting to that point where he can roll with anyone, black belts, and he's gone with world champion guys right now. Yeah, he beat a UFC guy last yeah. year. And right. and so so you, you're looking at a guy like that when he's rolling with me, okay? Is he going as hot as he could? No. You know, is he going to go hotter with somebody his age, okay, that is competing? Yes. Uh, you know, just going with, okay, with Josh this past week. Josh is a blue belt, and, you know, I've been rolling with Josh a lot, and Josh rolls very respectfully. And, and this week, we're because he's getting some training, and I, I pushed it harder, and he pushed it harder, and I could tell how good he was at that point in time. He's so, really stepped it up. Yeah, he's stepped it up, and so there's uh, there's a respect there, and it's the same type of respect that a black belt will give a white belt. You know, we, we're you not going to we're yeah, not going to smash go. a person, right. okay, just because we can, and in. And, and the belt is just the belt. It covers two inches of your butt. That's about it. And you got to remember that. And you also have to remember that if, if we're going to if we're gonna continue this, I'm, I'm, I'll be 59 soon, like I just said. And if I'm going to continue this till I'm 65, until I'm 70 years old, and if I want to keep on doing this, I'm going to have to keep rolling. You just don't do this without rolling. It's well, that's be, it. You can't just be yeah. the grandmaster professor, yeah. dude. Right? You have to. Okay, you have to measure your roles, and okay, what do you want to get out of these roles? And and I certainly haven't sold my soul short. You know, any any of my any of my inadequacies right now. Okay, I don't I don't think it's because of my age or because of okay my physicality. I think it's just a lack of time on the mat. If I get on the mat more, I would be better, and that goes for everyone. And, uh, and so, uh, but, but still getting back to that point, there's a place for just about everyone, whether you're a 120 pound woman, okay. That's 50 years old. Okay. Or whether, okay. You're a 240 pound guy that wants to compete in the moon jowls. Where does that respect come from? Where does that, I know that in our school, I, I can't, I couldn't echo what you said more. I, I think, I think part of it comes from, okay. The people in the, in the building. You know the people that that are that are in this room right now, okay, Derek and 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 other people that train. Also, part of it is that think about the type of person that this attracts. Uh, you can't have much of an ego at all because you're going to lose that ego really fast. So the the type of person that attracts is a type of person that that has some some empathy and knows that okay they've gotten smashed before and they kind of get it. 
So I think it weeds out a lot of people with big egos that would just want to smash somebody. So I, I think we attract, because of the arduous nature of the, the sport and the art, we attract a person okay, that has an understanding and, and that is a, a good person and that is, uh, is willing to take their lumps okay, and also willing to, and smart enough to, to know that okay, enough is enough sometimes. Right, so you're saying you're bringing in someone who's a white belt and, and they may bring a bunch of baggage in, but they're going to go through the same thing everyone else has. They're going to get their ass kicked. They're going to go through the whole thing. They're going to be, you know, uh, controlled. And then the thing is, as they get better at this, there's... I hear what you're saying, but there's got to be some way of keeping that respect, not just going, great, now I'm a badass fucking purple belt. I'm going to beat the shit out of everybody and leave. You know, I think that's the thing that I'm fascinated with. I'm not really asking you. It's too big a question to yeah. answer. But Well, yeah, think about, think about when, when we get a new okay, brown or a purple belt in or even a blue belt in. Okay, you know, we're, we're watching them. Right. We're watching how that person behaves and how that person rolls. And then we communicate that after. You know, you know a guy like, like Andy comes in and joins us as a, as a brown belt, a really talented guy. You know, good to roll with, reasonable to roll with, talented. And okay, when, we, when we're done, we've both worked out. Absolutely, yeah. We've both worked out. And if, uh, you know, if, if you didn't get that, if all of a sudden... All of a sudden, Andy came and, you know, you guys saw him just smashing me over time and time again. All of a sudden, he'd have to go with Jane next. He'd have yeah, to go I with Donald next. Saying, he'd yeah, have to right. go with George next. You know, so, so the group itself. So it's the attitude I, of the group. How come I don't see these people smashing you, by the way? I, I, he <laughs> I talks about it so humbly. like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, night in and night out, when I'm watching people roll, I don't, I don't see much of Jim getting smashed. No, <laughs> no definitely not. Um, but you're 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 right. I think there's we give there, there's a respect, and, and until you teach me not to give it to you, there's because you're you're getting out of your comfort zone. You showed up humble, and you know on for their part for them to show up and learn the art, they just need to they need to ante up. And what that is is don't quit. It's 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 going to be tough to learn. It's it it does come at a price. You know what I mean? It's really hard to learn. It's really hard to get to a, a good solid technical level. But when you get there, something about jujitsu allows you to remember what the pathway was like, so that you know you get there and you get to you know a similar place to some of our purple belts like Tyler, Donald, um, all all those guys that get to a technical level. We're like, okay, well, you know. I got my ass kicked a lot. I, I tapped a lot of times to put a purple belt around my waist or a brown belt or a black belt. And the higher level it is, the more times you've tapped in your life and the more you've gotten your ass kicked. And I think that's not a, a, a memory or a history that you easily forget. So when someone new comes into the mat, it's not, you know, a baptism by fire. You know what I mean? They're going to figure out, you know, particularly at Port City, that it's not easy. But... You rem everybody remembers that it's a thing about jujitsu, not just about Port City. That they everybody had to ante up to learn, and so right. you know that's something to be respected that that they're willing to do that. Right, I think that I think it's pretty observable. It's just there's some data out there. Just if you watch social media or just watch you know the the news of jujitsu news. At some point, once everybody's gotten a black belt, let's assume now we're up into another level, right? Everybody's been doing this and not necessarily for that long, right? 
now you can see there's there's tremendous amount of politics. There's all this you know shit talk and all this stuff that happens in jujitsu on the high level. I'm kind of keeping that separate from what we're talking about it. But it seems like the journey of you know sublimating your ego, doing the thing, getting under control, learning respect for the people around you. It does. It, it, I still believe that it's really heavily fostered by the people that are in the school. I mean, it comes down to just the simplest, easiest stuff. Our school, for whatever reason, has a number of people that are older than many schools. If you look around at the schools, you don't. We have a relatively decent group of guys who are older, and uh, I think honestly, a lot of it is just has to do. You show up, and you feel okay. I'm one of the old guy. I'm just going to go da 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 da. And you look over at Jim, and you're like, okay, Jesus, you know, I can give myself no break right now because this guy is killing it right now. You know, you're, it's, I think that that kind of leadership does, it's one of those things, since, since this is our school or everybody at the school is used to it, you know, when you go to travel to other schools, you don't necessarily see the same thing. So, do, I, you follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and that's not, you know, when we talk about... I think about, it's earned. I don't think it's a, just because you go to jujitsu. No. I know a number of people who, not from our school, who do jujitsu are really not that nice people. You, you know? know, You know what's amazing about that is that I saw that we talked earlier about what kind of Jim brings to the table. Whether you do jujitsu or not, if you know him, you know what I'm talking about. Um, he just raises the level of the people that he's around, and this is not, uh, you know, a, a Port City thing. This is a Jim DeLuca thing. When, exactly. When what I'm I saying. first came up to Seacoast and started training with the guys that you were you were teaching there, I was immediately impressed with, you know, their the the they were in shape. They were respectful. They paid attention. They were technical. Uh, I mean, keep, we all should keep in mind the fact that, you know, Devin Powell was originally a gym student. You know what I mean? He, was, he, he wasn't a, originally a Port City guy. He was gym student. Absolutely. So, you know, more than half of Devin's jiu-jitsu he got from, from Jim, and now he's walking into the UFC in January. I mean, so Jim is more than capable of making people do a, a little bit or a lot more than what they think they can do when they walk through the door. Right, I'm sorry. We don't mean to you know, sort of put you on blast here. It's like, oh, and let me throw another compliment at you while you're <laughs> yeah, here. And, but. And, and to speak to that with Devin and with everyone else, it's, it's, it was probably my, if, if I have any contribution at all, is about providing opportunity. And, and you know, by, by, you know, running classes before we opened up, okay, uh, Seacoast BJJ, uh, excuse me, the uh, uh, the jiu-jitsu school. Before we right. opened up the jiu-jitsu school, uh, uh, we are running classes in Northampton at a karate school that, that right. was matted out. And, and uh, you know, doing it there and, and just providing opportunities. So you get a guy like, like Devin, you mentioned Devin. Uh, you know, if you see Devin's game, it doesn't reflect my game at all. So I, I don't think I taught Devin a lot, but... I, I helped. Since when is this a technique? This is bullshit. Story. Yeah. This, this is, is complete bullshit. bullshit. No. It's complete no. bullshit. It's, you're, it's, people are in a group, a bunch of techniques. Yeah. But, They're a bunch of but inspiration. I provided an opportunity, okay, for, yes. for that to get learned. And, and, and the opportunity, okay, was, was, uh, was amplified when, you know, Jay would come up and teach and Derek would go down and train with PAGs and bring stuff back. And, and then all of a sudden it became a community and we, you know, we'd, we'd have guys from Boston come up and, and so you get a lot of different people involved and, you know, a lot of different, you know, people benefited from that. Right. So everybody loves your class, man. It's like one of the, one of the, you know, 
probably the most popular class. And you come from a you know education background, and I'm always interested in learning how to be like a better teacher. Um, what it, do you have? You know, what's your philosophy, or do you have like? I mean, you you do you sort of have a plan, and you know, yeah. So so Jay and I actually spoke about this. Okay, I was told long ago, and I think Buzz told me. He says, Jim, the more I have to teach, the less you're going to learn. Okay, so you know th- that I thought about that. That doesn't even make sense, you know, because you know you should be teaching me right now. Uh, but 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 over time, okay, you know, I, I kind of got it. And, and if I have to show you every little thing, okay, then you're not exploring it and developing it yourself. And so I just once again try to create different opportunities to learn. And uh, you know, right now in class, we're doing a lot of drills. And I, I try not to make a lot of corrections on the drills uh, because people are going to figure that out on their own. And if they're going to stay, they'll get better on their own. Okay? You know, let them do it. You know, you know, put a chain of things together. Let them do it. Let them get their reps in. And then they're going to figure out on their own because you know, somebody will teach a class okay, a month down the road and you know, fix up this. Or okay, it'll all of a sudden just happen that they... Uh, they figure out the right way, and, and maybe it's the fifth time that I've told them or the fifth time that you've told them uh, that, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's how you do it. And so you, you, you give them these opportunities and these drills. And uh, I know that we, we, we attain mastery okay, okay, under pressure. There's, there's no doubt, doubt about that. You're never going to become a, okay, a really good jiu-jitsu player unless you're fighting all the time. And you're in your you're in there and you're you're going hard. There's no doubt about that. Okay. But the problem is that if you start off like that when you're learning, okay, then that's gonna that's gonna inhibit your growth. Okay, so you you need to get the drills in and just the repetition in before you get that okay, that that opportunity to get to that point where you have the mastery. So I go easy, and, and as you hear every Saturday, okay, the person on top, okay, that's that's getting that's getting swept or getting submitted is just a placeholder. You're you're there for your partner. Let him do that. It's not a fight at that point in time because we're going to fight later. You know, one of the great things about jujitsu is we're fighting half the class, right? You know, I mean, you know, this it doesn't have to be a fight during the drills, and 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 I think everyone kind of teaches that way too. I think I try to. I think when I when I was a young teacher in class, I try to uh, I try to teach too much, and I try to talk a lot, and I try to get, do the learning for people. And and now I think I sit back a little bit more and do a lot less of that, and and just let let people do it on their own and give them the opportunity by setting up drills and and they'll explore anything physical. You're just gonna have to do that. You know, remember when you're playing baseball, just take a bunch of cuts, and your coach every once in a while would say something, but he's not saying something every swing. Right, especially when you get the first hit in the Little League World Series. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, your coach ain't telling you nothing. Yeah. You're like, coach, put this bat away. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, one of the things I really dig about your class in particular, I know you've kind of changed it over the last, well, I don't know if you've changed it. For, for me, you've tried, I've seen you teach it a couple different ways, but um, the class... You're basically teaching the same thing over and over again, and you're teaching it from different angles, and you got a chain going, too. I think in the, in the group of people that are teaching at the school, we're very lucky at the school to have four people, right, four, that are teaching at a pretty decent level right off the top. I mean, some of them are, are focusing on 
you know, uh, new techniques. Some of them are focusing on almost like a basic fundamental thing. There's more than four people that teach, but generally speaking, some people just the entire every time you show up, it's some flashy cartwheel bullshit. You know, it's yeah, all. I good. wish George would stop teaching that. Shit. <laughs> yeah, dude, can't help it. <laughs> but it's interesting coming to your class in particular. It's you have a rel. I think. Um, Anyway, you have a relatively uh, uh, consistent set of people. That's number one, right? So the people that show up on that Saturday class have a tendency to show up a lot. So you can, I'm imagining you can take for granted a certain amount of those techniques that you're going to teach. You know that they have done that. I know that in my case, having gone to that same class for a long time, a year ago, a lot of those techniques were you are basically teaching the arm lock turn. You know, you're basically teaching that basic grip. You're basically just now we can walk in, and a lot of the times you can go, let's put these four things together. You then can focus on people who are still getting the first couple of techniques, but the people who've been coming to the class can start chaining the whole thing together, and different people learn different ways. But for someone like me, the idea that you go down this to this to this to this to this, or this to this to this to this to this to this, or this to this, this. That's just how guys like me, that's how my brain works. So I really like that. I mean, are you setting out to 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 create a chain that says start here and end up with a submission each time? It's <laughs> almost like when you ask a question, are you starting out <laughs> with a with a question in mind at they, the end? They or have a, they I, have they have a tendency to make jokes right when you're about to answer, but that's okay. I don't know. I don't know if you look at you you ask a question and then you answer it and then you pose it again. And then and then Jim's gonna start to answer it, and then you could be like, "But what I'm really trying to say, no, I'm not interrupting anybody." <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put sequences together, and and those sequences can change, and and you know, and, and that you know, but but uh, sometimes sometimes we okay, we uh, we don't do all the basics in in all the classes because everyone wants to teach okay there's so much in jujitsu so sometimes sometimes uh okay we we you know new students okay white belts don't get to escape a mount okay for a week or so and uh in in that particular class the reason i do that is we'll start off with that all the time you're going to escape the mount do the leg escape okay go back to full guard or go back to butterfly guard because those repetitions are going to help them. Uh, now, for for purple and brown belts and even blue belts, they're escaping. Okay, they're doing leg escapes all the time when they're rolling, so they don't need it as much. Okay? But but even even all of us, you know, me especially, I try not to get mounted too much. Uh, so just working that drill, okay, is is pretty helpful at the start. So I do try to chain things together, try to change it up a little bit with diff- some different grips. Uh, you know, we've been doing. Uh, just from uh, that 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 scissor sweep, some things. Uh, we've also had people standing up and doing some trips. Uh, right. So so I get it. So you're saying the first piece of the chain is something that even someone new it, can handle, and if they and the, it's the most important. Gotcha. And so then as they go forward through the chain you're going to find the more advanced students will be going and flying through to a certain extent and getting stuck. The most advanced students will go through the whole thing. That's interesting. So the so even in practicing this, if you get stuck on the first part, you're still, even as a new person, you have just, something just, to bite into. And, yeah. and you know what? I, and I'll tell people every week, if, 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 if you're having a problem with the third technique, just do the first two. If you're having a problem with the second technique, just do the first one. Right. That, that's your drill today. 
I think that's so we 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 had a, a long talk about this because I tend to be very wordy when I'm teaching. Man, and, I'm, I'm and certainly not saying this is the one way to do it. I'm just it's a, it's pointing a, something out. Well, yeah. no, I, based on that uh, on that discussion, I'm kind of reevaluating some of the things that I do because with the way that Jim does it, people on all different levels get something out of training, even if the the first initial techniques are like you say the most important. What I'm what I'm extracting from that is the the you know, the more basic or the more important for them to kind of be able to have in their repertoire. In so, order, yeah. Like yeah, in, so so white belts and blue belts get those techniques no matter what. They're going to get the reps of those techniques no matter what. But for the higher belts, it's it's important for them to get the flow of how they need to move through all of the techniques. And like Jim said, it doesn't have to be perfect. He's like, I just want you to learn how to move your body and get the, from a 10,000-foot view how to get through these techniques and how to move your body the right way. And you'll fill in the gaps as you go. And uh, instead of me just yapping for, you know, 45 minutes of the class, trying to correct every little detail so much that sometimes you really fuck with people's mind that way. And they're like, they're like, I got, Jay tells me I have to remember 25 things when I'm doing this technique. And I don't that know, makes you, it you're tough. characterizing it a funny way. I think the combination of the two types of classes is the benefit. I want to teach the way. That, that's that's beside the point. But I'm saying, from, from my perspective, as sort of as a student, it's like that class is. I'm going the ABC. There was a time where I take the guy. I was spending my entire time escaping, you know, and I feel much better about that now. And I'm moving forward. I can get through the chain. But on the other hand, if you're going to make a big deep dive as to all the options once you've inverted into this, and now you have four ways to go, you you know, you don't want to start with. Grab the guy's collar, right? You know, I can see there's a benefit to both of these. It definitely is. Yeah, right. Something yeah. that you've been doing that's really cool that I appreciate too is the positional rolling. Yeah. Um, I think that's it's important for a lot of reasons, but especially like every you know in each something. I mean, you know, if you if I go in working on one thing and I'm just trying to pass, I may be passing the whole class like in my rolls and not playing. Six different, but when you go to your class, I get to I you force me and I and I appreciate it to to get to practice every position, all the positions. I get a, a little bit of reps at each one. Yeah, are you trying to maximize the possibility of getting the class move? No, nope, not <laughs> not at all. I'm just trying to expose people to okay being in all the positions, whether it's a positive position yeah. or it's a negative position. And, uh, you know, so, so whether we start, like, a lot of times, you, you know, you think, all right, we're going to start in the mountain. Well, that really stinks. You're going to start with somebody on your back. That really stinks. Okay, but, you know, we, we'll also start in a half guide where you get the underhook that you want. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a nice thing. Or we'll start in a closed guide, and, and you get the grip that you want. Okay, or sometimes you're going to get, you know, you're going to be in a, you're going to be mounted, and it's going to really stink. Well, well, both guys get to do the. You always switch, yeah. Too, so switch. you get it so both, both guys are going to yeah, get yeah. to do it, but it but it also it it gives you some situations that you're going to have to eventually deal with. No matter how good you are, you're going to have to deal with these situations at I some th- point in time. I think it, that it takes some of the ego out of out of stuff too, because you know you could get you could get mounted and and stay under there and be you know if you were in a regular role and just be trapped and not move and kind of you know suck everything in and not get tapped, but like. If you start mounted, it kind of takes this pressure off you. Like, you know, I started mounted. Now I can try to work my escapes, you know? I I mean, at least for me, and maybe that shows some of my insecurities, but it takes pressure off me. 
And I try to I try to make those rounds a little bit shorter. That when when somebody's in a really really jammed up position, make that round a little bit shorter. Okay, then then right, the it's other great rounds. though. I mean, every I love now and, it. Every now and then, you know, when nobody's looking, you'll and sometimes it's because a round is, you know, you can see a bunch of people on the mat during this round that are out of control. And sometimes you'll walk over to the clock and you'll... Oh, everybody notices. You'll pull, you'll, <laughs> you know, you'll pull the, the second hand around a little bit quicker because you're like... It I, can go both ways. Right. You can let us off early. But or what, maybe it's all of a sudden somebody's got their hand on the clock all of a sudden. Or didn't start it. Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny about that? Exactly <laughs> what he's describing, though, is... So we had maybe the best training session we've had in, in at least a year... That was, uh, that was hard. Yeah, this past and, and Thursday, I, and I wasn't even one of the guys that was, <laughs> was yeah was being focused on. So we had a bunch. We have a bunch of guys that are gonna, that are coming up to compete, and we put them through this this really difficult uh, shark bait um, session, and it was probably forty minutes long. And normally, you you know, you bring them out, and because it's tournament training, and started them standing up. But we started them from all different positions. And some of them were really tough. And, you know, obviously these guys get tired because they're getting a fresh new guy every two minutes. And, you know, some of these positions were like, you're on the bottom, underneath side mount, and and go. And even some of the best guys in the academy were tired. They were gassed. They had nothing left. And, and now a fresh guy comes in, and they're on top now. It's the best thing ever for competing. Yeah. I remember back The whole in, yeah. academy was was on fire you know, trying to encourage these guys to, to, to keep going and to dig for the extra 10%. And it's because we started like that, you know what I mean? Because we put them in that position. And that was, that was when Jim said, hey, we should, we should start switching up the positions and put them in tough spots on certain rounds and give them a break and, like, you know, put them inside the guard and in other rounds where they can, they can catch their breath a little bit. And that changed the dynamic of the training that day. And, and it was that place was electrified for the, for the for the the second half of that class when we were going live it's it was awesome it's a team yeah it's it, a team it's it was not awesome. just the guys who were rolling and it was because we I mean, put no, guys competing. in tough in, in really tough spots when they had nothing left and they needed some encouragement to keep to to keep them moving and you know jim jim was like do it this way and i was like that's a great idea <laughs> i mean there's that grit though i mean i'm sure you know you have you have your own stories but there's those times where I remember with the judo thing, that we, uh, uh, George knows, you put two guys on top and say, you know, there you go. You got to get out. Because in judo, you got to get out 25 seconds to get out. Right. So you go get t- two guys. You do whatever you need to do to keep the guy from getting up. And sure enough, like, you do it long enough, you can, you can get up. You can figure out a way to get up. It just sucks. And remember, remember when so Donald it did it by picking up both people, <laughs> <laughs> Trevor and I. Yeah, Trevor. I still, I have that picture by the way. Oh, yeah. He's, got, oh, yeah. he's done it twice over the last, you know, yeah. five years or whatever. This, I've seen Donald, you know, lay on his back and put his hands up, and Amanda do a handstand on his hands. You know what I mean? Like he's he's something else, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, Crossbred with a bear. <laughs> He's a good dude too, man. I, and, really and I'm not saying anything weird about your mom or anything like that. That was supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody would have thought that right. if you didn't bring it up. He is the right. Sasquatch. Right. Yep. What do you think about where where it is now? I mean, you got a whole bunch of different techniques coming in because of the internet. What do you think the internet's done for this? Well, <clears throat> you know, j- just just to speak about techniques. I mean, 
this has changed so much over the years. You know, it, it used to be all clothes God, and then all of a sudden somebody said, "Oh, look, look, somebody's doing a butterfly God. Let's let's do a butterfly God." And then all of a sudden, you know, we'd have Gordo in to teach a half God seminar, and and you know now you know, I can remember when when uh, Jay and and Pell were taking lessons from Kenny, okay, doing their inverted God stuff. I do okay. that. Yeah. It was all like you know, I remember. I was I was there waiting, and and Kenny would Kenny would be pissed because I was watching. Not that I picked up any inverted God stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that day. <laughs> Don't steal these techniques. You can't steal these techniques. It was the second academy. It was upstairs. Yeah, it was upstairs. I'll that's never forget like, that day. But that's what I mean by the internet. There's no such thing as as stealing techniques anywhere. It's they're all right out there. But this, but it's, I was, uh, it's it's it's. It, at least for me, the, what I've seen in this area, anyway, and I can't speak to nature. It's it's a lot more athletic. Yeah, uh, it's uh, you know people are moving and okay a lot more. It, it, a lot more wrestling has been integrated, mm-hmm. you know, in and and I'm using a lot more wrestling. Although you know I, you know you you see some of these old videos. You know I, I I watched an old video of Hickson okay training and he used a lot of wrestling. Right. So well, I don't think it's yeah. new, okay, to okay to a lot of the top guys, okay. But it, it's it, you know, before we used to, you know, you'd, you'd close God up and go for okay, an armbar or okay, a guillotine or a triangle or a sweep. And, the omoplata, yeah, right. Yeah, and then, and then it, you know, other than that, okay, we didn't we didn't open our God that much. So all of a sudden, it start you know you start learning some spider God and you're doing some butterfly God and. And and if, now people are okay doing barren bolas and all kinds of things where it's like whoa how did that just happen? Well, you and right. I were talking about it before we we started the, the the podcast. It was like we're seeing this right now, separating out techniques that are just awesome and are going to work from a technique that some dude has just never seen before, which is sort of like this un- awesomely unfair advantage. Just la- uh, last night with uh, Ryan Hall and uh, and with Gray Maynard, right? Where it's like you're looking at someone like Gray Maynard going. Jesus, I've been doing this my whole, I'm just characterizing, my whole life. And now I got to deal with this bullshit, right? Which I love, but realistically, I mean, you can't build your whole life or I just continually surprising someone. I guess that's the thing. It feels like, what do you think? I mean, is it, like we were talking about, you feel like when Ryan Hall shows up, does Gray Maynard now have to go learn this whole new set? How do you keep track of all that stuff? I, I don't, to tell you the truth. It, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fairly limited Okay, in in the techniques I, I I know and use, I uh you know I I'd love to be able to do a lot of the other things. Uh, there are certain things that I'm I still want to do. I still want to get better in the the whole foot lock leg lock game. I think that's well within my wheelhouse. I think uh you know for for me okay to to get better at the things that I'm doing now would be you know would be the best thing that I could do for me instead of learning a lot of okay or a ton of new techniques. Uh, so so. I'm I'm kind of sticking for myself, and 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 once again, if 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 I was the only teacher at the academy, that's the only thing that people would get. Oh yeah, you know. So so you know, we have Jay and Derek doing all these things and going over some really neat things. So that's you know that's the that's one of the big values. No, that's one. I think what it's great to have a bunch of different games and different different styles of teaching. Um, I think Jay, do you have to take off? If you have to take off. Just go ahead and, and yeah, I, I say, say your go. goodbyes right now. I know you got to get on a plane, right? Right, and we right. can we can finish up. No sweat. But um, you know, th- there is something about that. It's not 
it has nothing to do with the talent of one person or another. They're just jujitsu is such that it, it manifests themselves in, in each other in different ways. And so you attract it to different techniques. And we're lucky enough to have three black belts on the mat all the time that all have very different approaches towards jujitsu. So and teaching. So they get and we learn from each other. Like I learn I always learn a ton um, from from taking coaches' classes because of his approach to jujitsu. And he has skills and attributes that I don't have um, on the mat. And those are things that I want to adapt into my own game to make my jujitsu better. And, and I think that's what we all do when we're training with our training partners. And it's just, it, it shows up at a macro level in the way that the teaching is displayed because of our influence on each other. It's the same as training partners get from each other. You know what I mean? I like rolling with this guy because he's got a totally different game than I do. The same way, We're the same way in that you know, I like to roll with Jim because this game is much different than mine, and he knows where my switches are so that he can shut a lot of things down that a lot of people can't because he knows my game, and I love, I love that, about that, and, and it manifests itself in the way that we teach. We have different styles, and so we show different techniques. So. Well, I feel like there's this big, again, if it was a limited set of techniques, a new student comes in, they go, okay, I'm going to need to learn these, what are 40 things over the next four years. It's 10 a year. I can do this. Now, this is just too much. To, to say I'm going to learn the entire library of jujitsu. that's awesome, right? It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is interesting when you start looking at the different teaching styles and the different students. You know, I mean, some people are going to do better learning this, you know, this set of 10 things and they're going to just really hone them where some people are going to be like, nope, if I just always have something the guy doesn't know, then I'm always going to win. I love this. If you understand the basic concepts, I think you will understand all the stuff. That's, well, my, that's my problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> the basic <laughs> concepts. Right. You know so what the problem is? Is The internet. Or the amazing thing. All you got to do is look it up. It's a testament to coach. We didn't even do sponsors. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Normally, <laughs> this podcast starts with me rambling on about something foolish and then sponsors for an hour. I have an announcement, by the way. I'm going to start a soap company. All right. So we're going to have two soap company sponsors. I'm not really, but wouldn't that be cool? Like, if we're kicking started, you off the podcast, wouldn't it be great if someone, someone, someone came into the club and, like, with a soap company? We'd, like, we'd have to have two soap companies all the time, right? Jay, are you going to take off? We can do, yeah. we can always do this again, you know. We can do it. You guys keep talking. You yeah, guys we, keep talking, yeah. Coach. You know, we we catch up a lot, but but thanks so much for coming on here. Uh, you know, I love you to death, and we've been brothers for a long time, and it's awesome to sit down and kind of share you with some of the some of the listeners. And you know, we've talked about you on so many podcasts, and it's awesome to have you, the opportunity for you to talk to people and inspire people and let them know what you're all about because certainly an experience that I want to share with people. So. <laughs> Well, thanks, Jay. We'll catch up to you this week. You got it. All right, you guys keep going. All right. So, George, when did you meet uh, Coach? Um, so we moved back to New Hampshire from Colorado, and uh, I, th- I think I started training judo. Back- I came back here and started training judo, and uh, but I really wanted to do jujitsu because I had trained out there a little bit um, at Easton and Boulder. Um, and I had trained a couple times at Seacoast, maybe, on like coming back. But I went down. Kenny Florian was in downtown Dover at some supplement uh, company, like doing an appearance. 
This is why we always ask George because you have the best stories. Go oh, on. Oh God, they're, my so stories are horrible. You're, you're going to. They buy never even st- have an you're, end. You're buying illegal steroids from some dude. No, no, man. Up. I wasn't even buying supplements. I saw the poster, or like <laughs> we. I'd been working construction, and and uh, I saw the poster. And I was like, Kenny Florian, man. I'm going to go see, you know, walk down the street and go see Kenny Florian. So I go show up at this weird little supplement place, and there is nobody there. It's just Kenny Florian, the dude, the supplement guy, and some guy that was traveling with Kenny Florian. Um, and I was talking to him about, you know, jujitsu and judo and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, I'm... I'm gonna try to go you know train jujitsu but you know where should i go train there's like this guy and this guy and jim deluca at seacoast mma and he was like oh you should go train with jim deluca man like and his buddy was like yeah like that's who you got to go see so i was like that's where i'm going and so i went to uh seacoast mma Started training jujitsu. So you opened the? Did you open the place? Was it your place? I did. It was. It wasn't just me. Okay. It was uh, okay. There was a few of us that we we opened the place, and uh, it was just uh, just to get a training place. It wasn't wasn't about you know building okay you know like a big school. We just wanted a place to train. Right. I see. What you, so there's kind of a line through this. I mean, you're you're going to different places, and you're gonna you're you're working out at those kind of places as you go. But when there isn't a place, you're gonna build your own place. You're just gonna get some. That's some that's what we did. Doing it. Yeah. <laughs> we wow. just decided. Hey, all right, we we can get right. enough guys. I I had been uh, teaching at these different schools on you know like one or two nights a week, and uh, you know we're basically doing that for free, and and people at the at those schools could train for free as well. So it was a benefit for 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 both people. And uh, then finally, there were enough guys that said, "Well, let's let's just do this. You know, we'll 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 do our own place." And we got a a small place in Portsmouth. Then we moved in the same building to a to a bigger unit. Yeah, I mean, I come from a few year period. You know, I mean, and the people who listen to the podcast know I come from a music background, and it's like everything starts in the garage somewhere. Everything starts in the basement somewhere, and then it and it sort of codifies itself after a while. It comes together, and then. Just it gets too big, you know. You need to be able to deal with it. I just love this. All these parts of the story. It's like it's it's so it's an independent idea. You're gonna do this. If I can't do it, I gotta make it happen. You just make it happen, yeah. right? And, and and I was I was pretty fortunate. I mean, you know, we I probably haven't mentioned Roberto enough. Okay, even though we, it's, it's been quite a bit uh, because without his support back then, it, in 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 saying yeah, Jim, it's okay. I'll support you. Okay, with this and not financially, but Okay, it, it, without Roberto, it wouldn't have been legitimate for me to to go open up a school. I wasn't a black belt, and I didn't have a big name. Uh, but but because Roberto said, "Yeah, yeah, Jim, I think it's a good idea. You know, you open your place, and you come down here and train on you know the weekends, and you go back to your place and you teach that stuff." And and then all of a sudden, we you know we got Jay coming up, and we have other people coming up, and you know there weren't many black belts then, but. Okay, you've seen what's happened now. Now we have, you know, some some pretty high ranks. Yeah, I mean, there's there is politics uh, around the world with with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. There there's ownerships and and all these things. And leaving that to the side, I think one of the things that keeps coming up over and over and over again is people like Roberto are going, go do this, go start your own school, go do this, you know, train over there, train over there. That open, you know, uh, attitude towards. Not okay. You're my student, and you need to pay me, you know, seven hundred bucks a day and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I guess, I, I'm sorry. It sounds like I'm being negative one way or the other. Some people make their living doing this, and more power to them. 
and whatever it takes. You know, this is America. You 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 pay to live in America, and that's how you make your money, and it's great. But it's just real inspiring to hear that that you're doing this for the point of I got to train. I want to teach. I want to uh-huh. train. Wanted to train. We had a bunch of people. Greg got a room and some mats. <laughs> what was the, what 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 makes Roberto so special? Like to he, you, you he, know what I mean? Well, you know, he's 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 very selfless in, in that that he uh you know i mean he he didn't have to open anything up okay and and then you know he he probably could have made a lot more money i mean you know when 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 i left when i left uh, i was a, i was a purple belt and i'd go down and on weekends and train he never charged me okay? he never asked for money i uh, promoted me to a brown belt promoted me to a black belt okay never asked for money uh so he, he's he's doing it for the art. He's doing it for the people involved, and in, and in, and uh, uh, just his his kind demeanor, okay, kind of kind of is is uh, one of the reasons that our school is the way it is. I can remember, I can remember some of us, you know, just beating each other up down in in Watertown, and Roberto would kind of just look at us, okay, let us keep going, and. <laughs> He would say, and with, with with his accent, "You you got to be good to each other." <laughs> and then he'd just kind of shake his head and walk off, and we'd be like grinding each other in the face and stuff like that. <laughs> okay, but you know, okay, eventually we got it. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember what he said? Uh, Roberto just came up, and uh, this is Roberto Maya. We're talking about goes back through. Is it? I forget which uh, what his lineage is. Very tight though. It's like it's like uh, Gracie Baja, Ray Grace Carlos, yeah. right? But I mean, he's like third three from the, the the source right very very early he got he got his black belt from carlos crazy okay, perfect Junior. so but he came up and did a uh, uh a seminar recently where uh where he also promoted some of the people here and uh yeah i remember something he said you know you someone talked to him about it being his legacy right and the it, to, to paraphrase in a sentence or two it's basically he goes i'm not making the legacy i'm just doing my thing and here i am it's like you're making your legacy every day, you know, that was what I got out of his talk. It was really selfless. Like, the idea is, why are you looking at what I did? You know, look at what you're doing. Like, if, if you go 10 years from now, you're going to look back to here, and that's you're making the legacy. There's the legacy, you know. I thought it was a really interesting way of looking at teaching, which is usually more like, you're my students, and you represent me, and if you're not, you know. It was amazing the way he just turned that agency over to everyone who was there in the room, you know? Yep. Do you ever think about, uh, I mean, you've lived literally a life of public service. You ever think about, like, what you're passing on, you know what I mean? Or lo- your legacy, I guess, the word? like. You know, it's, it's. Uh, I really haven't had time to look back. I, you know, I, I'm still working full time and right. <laughs> still, still public doing, service, still doing stuff, uh, but, but, uh, you know, I'm at a point now where I, you know, I I have students okay, that are okay, now in their 40s and 50s, and they played football for me and played baseball for me, and and or, or kids that lifeguarded for me when when I was at Hampton Beach, and and uh, you know, so when I see them, and you know, I, I I see the past, and and I and I see them become good people, and uh, if if I even had just a small pot to do with that, okay, then 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 I'm pretty happy about that. And uh, you know, most of the time, it's a pretty positive type of thing. You know, when when I see somebody from the past, and and uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll chat about you know, a, you know, football that year, and okay, this particular game, and maybe one thing that I said to the kid, and and uh, uh, so I, I 
I, on a daily basis, no, I don't think about anything with a, with a legacy because uh, I, I think I'm just trying to keep doing it. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still trying to establish positive relationships with the, the people in town and okay, the kids at the school especially. So we have an opportunity. You're, uh, you're, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you're, you're a little bit of an outlier. Most people who that I know who've been in martial arts for the amount of time that you have carry some uh, massive injuries or they've been thrown. You know, they, there are reasons why they could have quit. Obviously, I understand you've already explained what is it that keeps you doing this. What are some of the things you're going to look at the older athlete and say, these are the things that I that you should focus on or could focus on in order to be able to do this past, say, 40? Okay, wor- worry about your fitness. Can you just, what yeah. you, exactly, yeah, what do you wor- mean? Worry about your fitness and worry about your health. Okay, you know, those, those are the two biggest things. If you think that by coming to jiu-jitsu that, okay, you're making yourself a healthier person, you're becoming more fit, and you're doing something productive, then that's what you should do. If you think that you know, going and, and getting guitar lessons okay, is going to be the thing that's going to make you a more productive person and a better person in life, that's what you should do. So how do you define those things? You say, what do you mean? Think about your fitness. Well, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, uh, uh, it's a very physical lot okay, when we're wrestling with each other and we're, you know, we're going you know, full on. And... It, it'll also lend when you're off the mat, okay, you're going you're gonna to have to keep busy. You're going to have to hit the gym. Or if you're not like, on the mat like George six nights a week, then you're going to probably go to a gym and do some, some other things and, and do some other cardio. Or you're going to eat a little bit better and maybe drink a little bit less or okay, whatever, whatever it takes. So one of the things that, that I do, you know, I've had some significant injuries. You mentioned injuries. I've had, you know, operations on my chest and I've, my knees bother me and, and there's been a lot of times where I've slowed down quite a bit over this past couple of years and even the last three or four years I've slowed down quite a bit and uh, I want to thank George and the other guys for you know having this opportunity to teach at the school uh, because it's kept me in and, and now that my body's feeling a little bit better and I've adapted a little bit to some of the injuries that I have then, then I can pick it up a little bit more. So fitness for you isn't just physical in that situation. You actually had to put your you you have the benefit of putting your brain into this. I'm teaching now. I'm going to keep doing this, and then you can get back to just yeah, enjoying it. Am absolutely. I reading that right? yeah. yeah, I I actually <laughs> it's funny, I, and I don't talk to myself out loud, but I I have a feeling at the end of each day, and and at the end of each day, I think to myself, was I productive today? You know, did I do did I set out to do something and do it? Did I did I accomplish anything today? And and if, if I get a jiu-jitsu class in, in the morning or at the end of the day, regardless of what I've done the rest of the day, I've accomplished something. If, uh, if, if I've gone to work and done my job and done a good job that day and, and did something out of the ordinary, I've accomplished something. If I've gone to the gym and I work out, I've accomplished something. If I've gone and seen my mother okay, and spent a, two, a few hours with my family, I've accomplished something. So I, I'm looking... I'm looking to accomplish something on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be jujitsu for me. Uh, you know, you know, matter of fact, that you know, the, the, a lot of times I'm training once or twice a week right now, and I want to improve on that. But it may stay like that sometimes because, you know, if I have other things that I can do to feel accomplished, I'll do those things too. But that little checkup at the end of the day—that's a big piece. Yeah, I mean. 
I mean, obviously you take it for granted because you do it all the time, but this is news to a lot of people. It's an interesting idea to just take a little bit of a moment to say, how did today go? Or, you know, where did we come in? Where did it land in the wind column there? It's usually when I'm, when I'm coming back from jujitsu and I'm getting out of my truck after the, <laughs> the, the 20-mile ride home, and, and I, I, that first step out, I'm Steph. like, oh, yeah, I did it again. Accomplished. <laughs> do you do a lot of planning? You know, like, do you sort of have a plan for the day? Like, uh, no, matter. Well, I, I, I shouldn't say that because there's certain days where, like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to, uh, like, tomorrow, okay, you know, I have a, I have a day's work, but I, okay, I want to hit the gym. I want to go early in the morning because I'm, I'm working a little bit different schedule tomorrow. Uh, then I know what I have to do for work, and then I I want to go wrestle with the kids at the high school tomorrow afternoon, and I'm gonna I'm wondering right now, am I gonna have time to do that with what else I'm doing? If not, should I go to jujitsu tomorrow night instead of Tuesday night? And so I do plan, and and sometimes the plans fall through, and they fall through because of different reasons. You know, a bad reason for a plan to fall through is that that I just get lazy. And a good reason for a plan to fall through is because it, okay, somebody offers me a better plan. A friend that <laughs> a friend that yeah. I haven't seen for a while says, "Hey, yeah. Jim, let's 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 go out and get dinner." I said, "Wow, we haven't done that for a while. All right, I'm going to do that. Well, I'm going to miss jujitsu tonight. Years ago, I wouldn't have done that. Okay, I'm going to say, all right, I'm not going to I'm not going to go to jujitsu. I'm not going to go to dinner with you tonight because I'm going to train. Yeah. Uh, you know, now now okay, you know." I'll, 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 I'll most likely change my plans. I'm a little bit more adaptable. Okay, yeah. but once again, that, that's also that also comes with the, the point of life that I'm at right now. Yeah. Nate Ryan. When we interviewed Nate Ryan, we went down to his place, and uh, that was something that he was talking about that stuck with me is balance. And you can get, or I can get, so unbalanced even with, like I just am so focused on jujitsu, and I was like that for a couple of years, that now, and I do train six days a week or whatever, but um, I'm thinking I'm, or more like what you're saying in, with things that I do love it and I do want to do it as much as I can, but there are other things, too, that um, I want to be doing. I need to have balance, you know? I think different people take different things out of jujitsu, is that safe, or martial arts in general, right? I mean, there's certainly times in my life where if I miss class... It's not going to go okay in the next couple of days. Like if I am, go- if I give in to that, I really should go to class. But yeah, I'm kind of tired. Yeah, who's talking right now? Is it me or the other me? Right? You got to you got to go up to the mirror and look in that mirror that day. That's what I'm saying. And 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 I've been on those days where it's just not. Uh, nah, and I'll let myself, you know, whatever the the dark side will come over, and here we go. And uh, which has its own, you know, positive feeling, sadly, and all that kind of stuff. I think. Uh, that's why I'm asking you. I mean, I'm trying to see it from your perspective. But I do think each of us is going to answer this our own way, right? But I like the idea that it's 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 not okay. Just it, it's not you don't you don't get to check it off by just being completely obsessed with this one thing for the rest of your life because there's going to be days where you can't do it, and now it's a failure kind of day, right? I mean, I didn't expect the answer. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, there's there's different. I guess there's different points in your life. If you're if you're training to compete, or if you have a if you have a distinct goal, okay, then you got to get make sure you get on the on the mat. If if you're if you're a kid wrestling in high school right now, you can't miss a practice. You know, if uh, if you're training for a jujitsu competition, you, you got to be at the classes that okay, you're supposed to be at and, 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 sure. and be there because you know you're 
you're setting that goal and in, in, in but if you if you're if your goal is, which is my goal, is to train until I'm 70. That was the original question. What's yeah, your to advice train, to people who yeah, want to do this? To train until I'm 70, okay, then you can miss, okay, certain times as long as you don't, <laughs> as long as it doesn't become a habit. Right. You know, and, and when you do go in, if you don't like this, there's certainly been times when my knees haven't been feeling really good. And, and I, I haven't rolled. I've done the class, and at the end, I haven't rolled. And, yeah. and a guy in his 40s or 50s, or even somebody that has an injured ankle, yeah. has to feel that they, they shouldn't have to roll that day okay, to be productive in that class. Yeah. So you know, the, the, it's, it's all about your goals. Okay? And okay, right now, my goal is long-term, okay, just to stay healthy and stay involved. And uh, I've, I've gone from, from a point where... Yeah, I thought to myself at one point, I think I told this to people, that, that if I couldn't get better okay, at what I was doing, okay, then I would stop doing it. Right. And I think some people are still at that point. Maybe, it, maybe people in this room right now, but I'm not at that point anymore. And I still want to improve, and I still want to maintain, and I, I still have things that I could do better. Uh, but that if I don't get better, okay, I'm not going to give it up. And when I'm 70 and I'm a lot more frail than I am now, okay, I still want to be able to get in there and wrestle with people. <laughs> I very much doubt you're going to go, okay, well, it's 71, so I guess I'm done now. So. <laughs> yeah. It's not gonna I think what you were saying, though, when you say fitness, you know, and it's mental and physical and it, it's all that yeah, it's a, it's, combined. Yeah, your well-being, it's, it's, it's not just, yeah, it's not, it's, it's obviously about your health, but but uh, getting back to that whole balance and 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 and, and feeling good about yourself okay, on a daily basis and, and making sure and that goes back to the the whole thing that we talked about right at the start of this podcast. You know, with some people that are abusing alcohol or abusing drugs. You know, what are some of the ways that they could get out of it? This is one way. You know, there's, you know, maybe just taking yoga is going to do it for you. Right. Okay, or maybe. Okay, maybe okay, you know, becoming a musician or writing or something like that would do it for you. Uh, but doing doing something productive on a daily basis, occupying your time in a productive way, is probably the most important thing that I could tell anyone to do. Yeah, I mean, I've heard people talk about like trying to get one percent better every day or whatever. But I like what you said, like look at yourself in in the mirror at the end of the night or whatever at night, you know. And and you're not there yet, George. You still got to get better. <laughs> <laughs> not that your technique isn't great now, no, but okay, uh, you, you you still you're still at a point where you need to get better. Okay? Yeah, you, thank you. You. Need, you need to you know not that your skill isn't good. Okay, <laughs> no. I've wrestled with you. It's not fun. Uh, okay, but okay, you're, you're still at a point in your life. You're still young enough where you need to. Okay, you need to keep on focusing on getting better. Where okay, I'm at a point where I just need to focus on keep 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 training. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you one more. So, uh, I'm trying to mention me too. The problem: these questions get so big so fast. So, I would like to enjoy training. I would like to enjoy going to jujitsu. I like to enjoy getting outside, going for the canoe. You know, taking the dog out. I'd like to enjoy those things. Do you feel like there has to be an element of suffering to this whole thing? Are you okay with people who are just sort of enjoying what they're doing? Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, the kid who's going into that wrestling room and he's a six-week in a row, he's not missing any, 
you know, the Olympic swimmers going, I don't really want to do this. You're not enjoying it. If, if, you're, if you're planning on competing... Okay, I see what you mean. If you're so the, planning right, on competing, right. you need to suffer. Right, so the... I mean, and, and I have my own answer to this. I'm asking you what yours is. You know, and so it's like, yeah, so you're drawing the line between what is your goal? Is that is that kind of it? Yeah, and... And and to tell you the truth, I mean, you know, I I still I still put myself in that suffer zone, mm-hmm. you know. Regardless, that's that's still it, even though I don't need to get a whole lot better, and you know, and, and I'm I'm facing the realization that in time that okay, you know that that possibility is going to decrease even more. I still need to get it to that point where okay, where I'm suffering. I trained this morning. I trained on a rowing machine. I trained on yeah. a fan bike. Yeah, and. Okay, I made myself suffer. I made I got myself to the point where I was uncomfortable. Not just not just working out, burning some calories, but I made myself uncomfortable. Now I didn't do that because I wanted to lose weight. I didn't do that because I liked the pain. I did that because I want that fitness for jujitsu for the next time I roll with George. <laughs> That's a great answer. I mean, yeah, so, the, so, so I it, put myself through that pain. Yeah, it plays so, a role in your so, life. So so the suffering, okay, the suffering, you know, when when I walk down the hall with a limp, okay, you know, I, I, I know, you know, somebody says, well, go take an aspirin. I said, no, nah, you're in this limp. Right. You know, I'll, I'll take the aspirin before, I'll take the aspirin before I go train again. Okay. But right now, okay, it's my pain. I've earned it. And, and <laughs> so that, that suffering pot, uh, if you want to get better at jujitsu, you have to. I mean, that's it. It's not just, it's, it's not just a leisurely sport. Uh, there's a lot of leisurely sports that are great. You go hiking, you go canoeing, okay. And uh, uh, but but uh, this is going to be arduous. It's going to be it's going to be difficult. You're going to put yourself in positions where you're uncomfortable. So it, you're going to suffer no matter what. It's an interesting question. We're using we're using these big words like suffer and enjoy and all that. But I mean. I could if I don't train if I don't train at all in anything I'm going to just get miserable really fast. So I mean I can make a good argument for enjoying not necessarily the moment of suffering. Personally though, I damn enjoy when I feel like ass coming up the way wake up the next morning. I know I felt I feel great when that hurt is on. I just yeah, I'm just using myself as an example, but I mean is it, it's hard to to, to communicate that it's hard to even ask a question about that um to younger people it's hard to to you know i teach people in the college age it's hard to look at people and go all those things that you show up on a t-shirt embrace the grind you know pain is only you know whatever leaving the body they seem like i don't know it's hard to find that motivation for someone who doesn't have that is do you feel responsible for that you try to get somebody to say, hey, man, you know, maybe you haven't felt this, but here it comes. Or are you just going to go, you know what, you're not one of those people, you know, maybe you need to find another inspiration. Well, I, I'd never have that, that conversation with the person to start, okay? So that, you know, that's going to be a natural thing. And, I, and I'll recognize that that person, okay, you know, this, this isn't for that person, okay, with, with something else, okay, would, would fer- perfectly fit into their, their plans and their personality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the... You know, you know, one of the things that, you know, that we see is we see, you know, some karate schools that don't do a whole lot of fighting, and it's not a knock on that, okay, you know, that, that have 400, 500 students, okay, you know, they're learning valuable skills, they're learning things, okay, that okay, will help them in self-defense, uh, 
and there's some level of suffering that they're going through, okay, but they're not fighting, they're not kickboxing. You, you put some of those same people okay, into a situation where they had a glove up on a nightly basis right. okay, and get punched in the face and get their nose broken, they're going to stop. They're going to stop because it's not worth the suffering for them. Uh, there's, a, there's a few select people that it may be. At one point in my life, Okay, it, getting a broken nose was worth it for me to go in and get the training to, to kickbox. It was worth it. It's not now for me. I'm not gonna, I don't mind going in and I'll do some sparring, okay? but I'm going to tell the person, hey, we're going light. Yeah. We're going light or I leave. You know, when I go into the wrestling room with the kids, I'm going with one of their better kids at the school. He's a good kid. He's a rugged kid. I said, listen, there's two things you got to know. One, I'm going to take rests whenever I need them. <laughs> and two, I'm going to cheat at every opportunity. <laughs> so I'm going to lock hands. Yeah. So don't take it personally when I'm cheating. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like you found a way to, keep, to, get, to get in there, to just have a great time, to go in and make it happen. You're willing to put in the, the work and the effort to make sure you can keep doing it. You yeah. kind of found a plan that works. Yeah. You stick to it. You, 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 you don't back down. You wake up and make it happen. And it's, and it's not for everyone. I mean, it's not for everyone. If, if, you, uh, you know, we, we, if we were to take a walk in the mall okay, and see 500 people, there might, be, there might be four or five people that would be willing to, to do what we do. Okay? And there's, there's probably a lot of things that we wouldn't be willing to do that a lot of Absolutely. those people are doing right. as well. You know, some of the some of the people that have to work 80, 90 hours a week just to support a family, they can't do this. Right. You know, and, and that's, you know, that I admire that just as much as I admire okay, a, a gold medal, okay, Moon Jiao winner. Yeah, man. I mean, it's true. And I start, I guess I'm starting to see that. But so I really appreciate you coming on here, man. I really do. I really appreciate you coming and training with us and setting the example I had to keep an do. eye on my son over you here. do i need it i need it and uh it means a lot to me like you know um yeah you just you really do set a great example man the the like i can't i don't the public service thing to me is is uh pretty powerful like your whole life and it blows my mind it has been public service man has been serving the public um and that to me is is is, I respect that. I respect the shit out of that, oh, man. Thank you. I really do. Well, there's another aspect to this, too, which I made a joke about. I'll make another joke about right now. There's a bunch of old guys at the club, and we talk to one another all the time. And it's like, nor everywhere else in my goddamn life, I can walk in as the old guy, and I'll get a, I'll, someone will cut me some slack because I'm the old dude or whatever. It'll be fun. You know, if I play music with another band, I'm like, oh, that guy did all these things. And they'll be nice to me, and I can do whatever the fuck I want if I don't feel like it. Da, da, da. No excuses because of Jim DeLuca. Zero excuses. I walk in, I'm tired. He's not tired, or at least he's not telling anybody he's tired. And all the other old guys at the club do the same thing. It's like, and we, we know, I won't call anybody out, but some of these people are very successful and they make money and they do all these things. You go in and you just feel like, I can't let off. The only time I'm going to take a round off is when I really need to take a round off because I'm, you know, I haven't come in, I'm out of shape, but that's it. And it's because of this guy. I mean, it's the way it works. Uh, it. I'm just echoing what well, you said. It's a different kind of public service, but sure. it's the same oh, thing. Yeah. Serving as a model sure. for uh, which to at least compare your work against. There's a there's a meme on the internet that you see like of the difference between 
a boss and a leader. And the boss is like the guy behind all the guys. And it's like a, it's, I feel like it's a chariot or something. And the boss guy is cracking the whip and sitting up there making the people do it, but not really doing anything. The leader is the guy in the front pulling, you know, and inspiring everybody else to do, to, to get the most out of themselves that they can. And you are a leader, man, big time. You know oh, I mean? yeah, I, sorry, it's going to turn into a compliment festival yes. at the end here. But yes. no, but it's true. I mean, so I started teaching uh, at a college uh, after I met you. And I remember going in and saying that just, I mean, I've been lucky to have taught on and off for my whole life. But going in and going, one of the things that I need to do here is to always do the job of the student. So every time I teach, I teach six classes but four different classes i teach a lot in two days so it's tight it's fast every single time i teach a class i have already done the assignment in front of those students and i do it in like five minutes or ten minutes and so i'm going to send them home and go you got a week to do this but i know that if i'm not doing it if i'm just looking at you and going this is what you need to do now go do it i'm not providing that extra piece of inspiration i'm not going if you show up at if they pass things in i get a little email when they pass it in it's all electronic right if if the class is at 9 a.m and you're passing this thing at 8 45 a.m you 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 did not listen this is not how this works you know if i can do this right now in front of you so by continually demonstrating over and over and not just standing over on the side and going just do this and this and this, and you guys will all be fine. That leading by actually doing it example is just something I pulled right off you, Jim. So there you go. And it works great for most of the people. <laughs> and the other ones feel really guilty. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a doing sport. It's a doing art. It's, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you, it's it, what you're passing As much on, as people right. would like to talk about gay you know, jiu-jitsu or fighting and stuff like that, and it's always fun to talk about it. Yep. Okay? it it's all about doing. You know, yeah. So we could, you know, we could... We could watch videos and we could, you know, listen to <clears throat> listen to podcasts and things like that. But okay, in order to get good, you gotta get in there. In order to be proficient, you gotta be in there. Yeah. You're gonna have to try it, do it, okay, and usually do it a lot of times. That's a universal thing. I mean, I, you could pass that over to pretty much anything except for just listening to people tell you what to do and showing up at work. If you're going out to try to accomplish something, number one, you gotta go out and do it all the time, every single day. But yeah, like what George is saying, it's like when you get into a position of leadership, you're either telling people what to do or you're doing it and asking them to help you out, right? And it's like that's what it feels like when you guys are uh, when you guys are teaching. If you ever go online and order Tortuga soap and it's not there, now it's time for and sponsors. It's, it's there. You go to order the soap and there's no soap to be ordered. You know why? It's because Coach bought all the soap. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one downer. That's the one thing that could mess you up that he does he has to have all the soap especially the new soap he is the best smelling man in seabrook <laughs> you know you guys if i if i understand correctly tortuga soap uh has actually got some new soaps out right yeah, man. I, I saw i saw something online the other day there's a bunch here man to tell tell us about the soap the new soap. Oh, you, you, you could wait until she charcoal was done eating charcoal nice. soap. Oh, the charcoal is awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Get right on that microphone. Okay. There you go. Beautiful. Are there any new soaps? There are new soaps. Really? Would you like to describe one of them? I would love to. 
So I did a couple um, charcoal soaps by request from a gentleman in Connecticut. What does that mean? You just granked up some charcoal and why? I Charcoal is a soap? Um, well, it's an ingredient. Oh, okay. It's called activated charcoal. Okay. It's great for cleansing the skin. Okay. And so I did one all like dark gray black, yep. solid dark gray black. And I did it's another kind of soap right there. It's awesome soap. And then I did another super cool gradient soap. So what I did was um, I mixed up a batch of soap and I filled up eight cups worth of activated charcoal, like black soap. And then I would pour some at the bottom of my soap molds, and then I'd add in four more cups of I white see. So soap. The, so the final piece of soap actually looks great, like it goes from one color to another. That's What's right. the other color? Um, so it ends up at a light gray. Oh, light gray. I, did, I, I think mean. I did seven. I did that seven times. Right. And then so you get like a super cool looking bar of soap. It, it's light. It's dark at the bottom, and it goes light towards the top. Got to be honest. That's cool mm-hmm. for me. It's all about the tea tree soap for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have the tea tree and I have a bunch of the others. I'm, yeah. Okay. But this, this when I tried this the other day, this is my favorite so far. That's yeah. so awesome. So I ordered the rest of okay, the order. Oh, you just, ate, you just <laughs> ate up the rest of it, right? <laughs> what, nice. Whatever, whatever it takes. Whatever I don't know. It takes, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. another one I came out with is Blackberry Vanilla um, by request of my friend Pat, who has been training with us for a long time. Um, he wanted a vanilla soap, so I wanted something that was all natural. Um, I found this uh, black raspberry vanilla, and I did a new soap swirl technique. It's called a hanger swirl. I always try. <laughs> I always try a new one every single Look time. At the deep dive. A yes. hanger swirl. A hanger Would you, swirl. It's not worth talking about unless you describe it. Okay. So what is a hanger swirl? All right. We so won't do this forever, people, but we will. Let's take a little dive in. We talk about the soap. We never really talk about the soap. No, we Go don't. Go on, hanger all swirl. Right. Okay, so with a is hanger it a coat swirl, hanger? Yes, it is a coat oh, hanger. Oh, pulls Sanitized. it out of the air. <laughs> Sanitized. Um, I just spritz with a little alcohol and mix it all nice and clean. But anyway, so uh, what I do is I mix up a batch of soap and then I pour uh, the base, which is a light colored, a light tan. It's like the natural color of the soap. And then um, I mixed up activated charcoal, uh, purple Brazilian clay and French rose clay. Goodness. I made three different colors. And then so what you do is you, um, on one side, you pour the white... Um, then you do black, purple, pink, white, black, purple, pink through the whole soap mold until they're all full. And then you take your coat hanger and you dip it in through the whole mold and you just swirl it around. I think I did each one seven times, seven swirls. So when you pull your hanger out, you have to let it cure for 24 hours before you can take it out of the soap mold. I keep it in the oven. Okay. It has to stay around 80 degrees. And so when I took it out the next day and started chopping it up, it came out so cool looking. So I brought 10 bars or even maybe 15 to the this last um, craft fair I did yesterday. Mm, yeah. I sold every bar. Beautiful. Every nice. bar. How, yeah. long you, how long have you guys been doing this? Three years. Three years, yeah. yeah. Three solid years. Maybe even a more, even more, yeah. But we started in 2013. George started the soap. Yeah, of he course. He yeah. is the mastermind. I was all for it. I want, I've always loved natural soap, but once I tried it, then I I really took over. My my friends used to actually make fun of me before. Okay, not about Georgia soap, not about the Tortuga, but but one of my friends asked me, he said, "Hey, what can I get you for Christmas this year?" Not this big rugged guy, you know. I said, "Soap, get me a good soap." He went, "What?" Yeah, so he ordered me, you know, some soap from online, and it was good. It was really good stuff. But okay, ever since uh, 
these guys have been making the uh, Tortuga soap. That's that's what I use. Yeah, it's funny because obviously George is on the podcast. It sounds like we're just blowing smoke here, but it's it's a really unbelievably good product. Thank and you. you sell all of it, right? It's not like oh, you're yeah. sitting on a warehouse of unsold can't, stuff. Can't keep up, man. Well, the, the yeah. number the, the number one, you know, for me, the number one indication of a of a fantastic company is you sell all your products. Mm-hmm. So, boom. I mean, you're not. It's it's a fantastic thing, and mm-hmm. uh, it's cool talking to you directly about it as well. What's the uh, but the tea tree is like the is the thing. So I don't OG, know. OG, me? OG. That's the OG, original. That's the original said, gangster. Right. So, but so right now, do you have plans for something else? Or something I new? Do. I, I saw something else at the club. Mm-hmm. Let's go deep. Let's finish it up because we're coming down the end here anyway. <laughs> sure. Uh, you you have different formats. They're not all just bars anymore. Um. Oh my gosh, I do. Tons of different shapes. I do cupcakes. Cupcakes. Do, yeah, cupcake soaps. I do um, donut-shaped soaps, right. um, bath fizzies, uh, you name it. I've, I've tried a whole bunch of different things. Did you and try to make... Did you make Pokemon balls at some I point? I did. Yeah, I still do. <laughs> I was going to say, don't, don't stop making those because yeah. it's not I've a had to make... I, I think I've made three batches already. Um, I only have... Um, the last craft fair yesterday I did... Um, I think I only have three left, and I only have three of the um, minions I made. They're you mean like, the, like from the from the we shouldn't be saying the names, but from the movie, yes. From the movie, yeah. So it's interesting because like the legit part about this is it doesn't matter what shape this is and all this stuff. It's fantastic soap, mm-hmm. and it's like this is just a bonus that it comes out that way. Yeah, made yeah. in our kitchen. Yes. I'm looking forward to when you guys because uh, we're coming to the holidays when you sort mm-hmm. of package these up. Because to me, I, that's what I do every year. It's like you know, you know, it comes around holiday time or if i have someone as a thing i'll just buy a bunch of coach don't packages. give them away yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he can't do he it boards them. he can't <laughs> give it away it's it's really cool talking a little more about the soap do you have a way of uh of do you do you ever talk about this stuff other i mean, obviously you sell it you sell it on etsy mm-hmm. and tortuga soap mm-hmm. company.com or tortuga soap.com tortuga soap.com great but then uh do you ever like show like making the soap or anything like that um i don't do many you don't videos. you don't have a video okay, no cool. no i Go did ahead. one where i got a new soap cutter which i love and i still use it um and uh i mean i've always thought about doing them i was gonna do maybe a mountain pour class yeah. but after the holidays because i'm so slammed right now you said like a class for someone to take to learn how to make soap yeah 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 for th- here's a little tip that one of the guys who was on the podcast came up with that i just I, I would never occur to me in a place you can melt this stuff. Oh, like yeah. I can yeah. buy soap and I can melt it. Yes. And so uh, one of the guys just melts it into a a, a shaving uh, into a mug and uses it as shaving cream. Mm-hmm. Like That's, I didn't know you could just put it on the. I didn't know you could just melt it. You just can, jam it yeah. in the mug and jam it in the microwave. I had no idea. So anyway, it's uh, it, it, but it is cool talking to you about this. We never yes. talk to you about this and oh, stuff. So thank you. Know, you. Shout out to best. Philly Pete for that one. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it's John. And it's John. <laughs> Thank you very much for being patient during that uh, long ad, Coach. Oh, my favorite soap. <laughs> yeah, really, truly. Coaches have been a huge supporter from day one. I Thank have you. A, uh, something to say about Coach. That All right. No matter we'll let you make the final word here. Okay. We'll, we'll pull it the together. Last thing. All right. No matter how old you get, 75 or 80, we'll always need you. Oh. We'll true. always need you. So that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, that's the truth right yep. there. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Hopefully we'll do it again. Awesome. Thank you. Peace. Bye.